Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 19th of April, year of our Lord, 2020. It's a Sunday morning. It's very early. My volume should be much better today because people are still sleeping and I don't want to wake them up. People being my better half and dogs and the whole freaking world right now. But my sinuses are terrible. No, I don't have the COVID, but I definitely have allergies. And it's been a very high for about six days. And I, I think I'm going to try huffing paint. As an allergy medicine. Maybe, maybe that'll work, but anyway, so I decided to go early instead of waiting till Tuesday. Uh, probably we'll do a uh, Thursday podcast or I might still get a Tuesday. It depends how much stuff we get. You know, I, I'm still doing the trip to a medical facility and I've heard they've strengthened uh, their procedures to even be more restrictive. Um, I bumped into one of the doctors the other day. I don't even think they're doing your analysis anymore. But um, it is, uh, once again, 11 days, I guess, away from when we're supposed to go back. Um, I haven't looked at the numbers today, so let's do that together. Um, last I checked, it was crazy. <clears throat> and COVID is going to be the subject today, plus a little Biden and a short news and social media nuggets. But... Um, COVID still runs the world. I mean, that's that's the world we're in tonight or today. I, I watched that uh, World Live Globalist thing last night, which was very disappointing. Uh, I didn't think it was a very good show. They say the United States has 738,923 cases. Um, it's all New York, 241. New Jersey, 81. Massachusetts, almost 37. Pennsylvania, almost 32, California, 31, Michigan, 31, Illinois, 29, Florida, 25, Louisiana, 23, Texas, 18, Georgia, 17, Connecticut, 17, 550. Tennessee has stayed pretty much the same. Uh, in order, my sister's state's got 9,400. Um, where was Tennessee? 67. Um, we haven't had a new case in a while. I think we have flattened the curve. And uh, Oregon is way down there. They uh, have only 1,844 cases. The deaths are to not be believed, uh, to be quite honest. As we'll see in this podcast, uh, they're counting everything now. It's 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 a money laundering scheme, and they say 39,000. You can tell in, in uh, New York specifically because they say 17,671 people have uh, perished. And if that's the case, then uh, Cuomo and de Blasio need to be strung up. I mean, seriously. What the fuck, Chuck? What are you doing to have that many deaths? But... That, that's what they say, but there's, it's breaking that they're just can't classify, they're not even testing. Let's put it that way. Uh, they're not testing. And because of that, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. I mean, you can't say I, I have these many deaths and you're just counting anybody without even 
testing that they have the virus. And that's, I'm not making that up. That's what's really leaking out that they're, they're just counting anything. Um, and that's crazy. We've had the same pushes over and over, and I hate to repeat, but there is a huge amount of influx this week. It was post-Easter of It's Christian's Fault. So we're going to play a soundbite. Uh, Don Lemon and Reza Aslan are two separate ones on CNN. It's Christian's Fault, and we have two articles, and we haven't have, even have a Southern Bash on here because the more people die... Uh, in New York, and the more these entitled people are losing their ability to do whatever the fuck they want, uh, it seems their focus is to lash out on Christians. Can I just talk about your last guest just for a moment? Um, my heart goes yeah. out to that entire family because it has hit their family, uh, and you know how it is when it when it hits a family. Luckily, your family uh, at this moment better off, and it's, it's going to stay that way. We know it will. But let that be a lesson that you can have faith. But you also have to heed the warnings um, of the authorities and the people who and, and the experts. And so I think that should be a lesson to people who are trying to gather, uh, whether it's 10 or more people in places, that you shouldn't do it. And God loves you. God wants you to praise him and glorify him and raise his name. But at this moment in our history, at this time, it's better if you do that at a distance socially distant and that means at home or whether it's streaming or whatever that you shouldn't be doing it so I, I just say my heart goes out to that family bless them but they should be a lesson to everyone out there who's trying to defy the authorities who are saying don't do it it's a big loss to the community you know marjorie and the family are telling people listen to the warnings heed the warnings yep i don't think the guy was a flouter uh i think that there was doubt uh and there are too many who have had doubt with not good enough a reason all over this country, and it continues. And now we'll see it, Don, when we go to the next step of what it's like to reopen, which I'm scared to death about. And you should because be. Because we do not have the testing capabilities down. We will not be safe in any of these places if we can't trace and treat and test. But when they say to wear a mask, people are going to get frustrated. Yeah. When they say you got to wait in these lines, people are going to get frustrated. And we're going to have problems until we learn to adjust to the new normal. Yep. And we don't know what that new normal is going to be. Chris, take care of yourself. Take care of your family. We'll see. Reza Aslan, abortion is the, the key to support for Donald Trump and the fact that he'll nominate judges who may overturn Roe v. Wade. That's the sort of core of the support. Is it as simple as, as that? Or is, is there more of sort of a also, you know, the tide of the country turning toward black and brown folks? Is, is it all of that or, or one more than the other? Well, I think it's, it is important to understand that for a lot of evangelical Christians, particularly white evangelical Christians, abortion had a huge role to do with why they supported Donald Trump. And Donald Trump very much in a cynical way used abortion uh, as a means of gathering that kind of support, record support, as you know, Joyce, some 81% of white evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. That was a record in this country. That's more white evangelicals than voted for George W. Bush, who was actually a white evangelical. And so part of it has to do with that, the kind of cynical politicking that's always involved in Republican campaigns to try to bring the evangelical vote. I think Trump just did a better job at it. But I don't think that we should pretend that the white part of this sentence doesn't matter. 67% of evangelicals of color 
voted for Hillary Clinton. These are people who more or less believe the same thing, hold the same theology, but just have a different skin tone. Um, I think there was this wonderful article in Christianity Today, uh, not long after the election, that said that white evangelicals acted more white than evangelical. I believe my good friend Jim Wallace has made comments like that as well. So race unquestionably played a part in it. But I think that there is something deeper as well. And it has to do with uh, what sometimes is referred to as the loss of the culture wars by uh, white evangelicals. I've written a lot about this. I've spoken a lot about the way in which Trump's evangelical supporters have started to seem like a kind of cult, um, a, a deeply insular group that's bound together by this extreme devotion to a charismatic leader. And what I'm really worried about right now with this pandemic is that what what allows a cult to truly thrive is a sense of siege. This worked in 2016 because Donald Trump told them that, you know, Democrats are out to destroy churches and kill babies and take away their guns and that worked. But now we are literally experiencing a sense of siege. And so this backlash that you're seeing from a lot of pastors in places like Louisiana or Kansas, Kentucky, across the country, frankly, to try to prove something by forcibly having these in-person uh, services, defying the authorities, uh, defying medical advice in order to make some kind of point about their support for Donald Trump. This is the kind of behavior, this cult-like behavior, that can lead to, as Jim said, to the deaths of thousands of people. It's it's no longer just a cult of personality. I don't think we can call it that anymore. It's now becoming a doomsday cult. A doomsday cult. That's pretty fucking good. So then we get into the articles, and uh, it's pretty fucking bad. Salon, Trump and white Christian nationalists using virus to undermine democracy. In this long diatribe done by Chauncey de Vegas, we cite the SPLC, how ISIS members are bad, but it's more worse to have white people, and that freedom, big government, and political correctness are code for racial resentment and a hostility towards elites and a multicultural society. No, I'm not making that up. That's that's real. That's, that's a real thing. Then we go into uh, the gay alliance or the mafia, and if HIV was God's punishment for gays and coronavirus is punishment for conservative Christians, you couldn't swing a cat in the 90s without hitting an evangelical who believed HIV was God's punishment for homosexuality. But that logic isn't on their side today. And they broke down in 1992 versus 2013. Surveys of, I don't know where they're getting this information. It's usually bullshit because it's gay alliance and they just make the numbers up. But they say that black Protestants and white evangelicals in the 90s, 50% believed it was gays, punishment for being gay, and now it's 24 and 20. And then they go through all these deaths and what's happening, and it's just payback because you hated gay people. They, they close this article... Um, we're going through a tough time unlike any other times like this or times to band together. So to those preachers still spreading hate, I say stop blaming people and start helping people. Your homophobia and sermons only harm your followers by spreading misinformation. The truth is we're all here to help one another. 
That's how you get through a moment like this. We in the gay community have understood this since day one. We know the value of working together, and we've seen what it, how it works. So working together is saying all Christians are getting killed because they deserve it. Because the next thing, Allison Moyette, those religious leaders who have proclaimed that COVID-19 is God's punishment for homosexuality and have been tested positive, I certainly wish them well, but it's a convoluted way to come out. That's the way of saying, yeah, good for you. You got it. And we've done article after article after article after article after article of the left saying this is because of God, of God's retribution towards Christians. And we can't cure this because of Christians. And we can't do that. Christian, 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 Christian. I mean, you just heard CNN, a mainstream network. It's Christians' fault. It's their fault we have this. Google's even, uh, Google censors church app for talking about COVID and putting it in their sermons. So they censored it. Their app can't be downloaded now. I mean, you have to be really working for it to look. They're, they're purposely looking through Christian stuff to find anything just to ban them. Because in their world, Christians are stupid people believing that fake deity in the sky I mean there's a new movie coming out called Souls at no time in this movie which is by Pixar do they talk about any higher being you're just like formed and then you die and you go to a white light looks cute but I mean it doesn't talk about higher beings it's just your soul is just this thing and you're formed in some place and you get all your personality there and then you get injected into a being on the earth. Yeah, that was the synopsis. They've gone so far that, as stated, Scarborough, who is a southerner, was a gun-toting, Bible-thumping conservative until he stuck his penis in Mika Brzezinski. He's now dogging the way conservatives talk. We got to... It's just, yeah. but you gotta, I mean, the, we gotta reassure, look, my, my message to everybody I talk to. Yeah, that's, that's nice. Uh, that's just really nice. So I had a soundbite to start this next one off and it's about a study of just CNN and MSNBC, um, mo- mostly CNN, but it, they looked at the briefings. CNN airs least of coronavirus briefings. Network skipped seven hours over the past two weeks. MRC study found that CNN has carried just 69% of the briefing runtime of those conducted March 30th through April 14th. That's 999 of 1,435 minutes, leaving seven hours and 16 minutes unaired. MSNBC has aired live 1,088 minutes, or 76% not running five hours and 47 minutes. That's what they do. They have decided to politicize this, and it's just fucking pathetic. CNN has been on a terror to prove anything uttered by Trump is false. Three weeks after Tesla CEO Elon Musk said he had obtained more than 1,000 ventilators to help California hospitals treating patients infected with the coronavirus, the governor's office says none of the promised ventilators 
have been received by hospitals. Now, I think we all are wise enough to know that Elon Musk is not a Republican. He responded, What I find most surprising is that CNN still exists. Gavin Newsom, please fix this misunderstanding, not to mention Medtronic, who makes the most advanced ventilators in the world, also affirming our help. Matt Dornick attacks him. Weird to attack CNN for what a California governor's office said, especially when your own spokespeople at Tesla wouldn't respond to our request for comment. Which is probably a lie. They're all just, it's stir-crazy. They they can't handle it. And they probably have lost people and under the impression they died of coronavirus. When odds on, who knows what the fuck they died from in New York. I mean, there's, once again, documented case. They're not even testing. Just all dead people are coronavirus because we want money. Katie Turr. Trump is always looking to blame someone else. The media governor is now going off on the WHO and other nations who did suspend travel to China. Reminder, as Paula Reed, CBS, pointed out yesterday, the question is, what did Trump do with the time he thought he bought after the China ban? Goes without saying, the same applies to nearly every single action or word he's held being been held accountable for. It's always someone else's fault. Always. And somebody says, these folks are supposed to be unbiased? Then she tweets again, the last on-camera White House briefing was June 29th. This is the woman that was counting briefings, and now she doesn't want briefings. Period. Keep in mind, Americans are dying during these briefings. During yesterday's briefings, between 5.30 and 7.45, there were 93 reported deaths. Comfortably smug. Jesus fucking Christ, this is an embarrassing tweet. Anyone seen a journo try this during one of Cuomo's briefings? And that's the part about it. Cuomo's on the cover of the fucking Rolling Stones as God's gift. Rolling Stones appears on our, uh, Governor Cuomo appears on our main covers. Response to his deadly crisis helped guide the nation. Really? People said only the liberal media would praise the guy with over 10,000 deaths in his state. If Cuomo were a Republican, if he was a Republican, they would be calling for his head. But he's a Democrat, so he's a strong leader, took charge of the largest outbreak in the Western Hemisphere. Literally highest death toll in any American city. Why are you anointing him a saint? There's only one network that has pushed back on this and Pelosi. That was CBS, surprisingly, where Paula Reed came from. Here's CBS, and I'm going to play the Pelosi soundbite because it coincides with his soundbites that when we installed a ban and said, this is come for China, this is bad, they said, go to Chinatown. Governor, uh, as we consider the variables necessary to reopen the economy here in New York, I think it's worth looking back at the conditions that led to the closure in the first place. On March 2nd, you were on 
this program uh, and you uh, urge calm. There was one case at the time and zero fatalities. By the end of the month, there were a thousand, uh, uh, there were 60,000 cases and a thousand fatalities. But the closure of essential businesses didn't come until the 22nd of March, quite late in the scheme of things. Looking back, do you wish you had closed things down sooner? Do you have regrets? And would that have lowered the death toll? Yeah, uh, I think it's the exact opposite factually. I don't think you'll find another state that moved faster than New York. The question is not whether you move swiftly. Just in, in your mind, I know this is heavy. This weighs heavily on your conscience. Do you wish, in retrospect, with hindsight being 2020, that you had closed things down sooner? Uh, former CDC director Tom Frieden said 80% reduction in fatalities if the closure had come just a week or two earlier. So I'm asking you for a bit of reflection. Yeah. Well, first of all, who knows if he's right or if he's wrong, right? Uh, Monday morning quarterbacking is a little uh, premature. When we look at the local response, we've heard a lot out of New York. Obviously, it's got the most cases, uh, more than any other country outside of the U.S. Uh, we show Governor Cuomo. But the New York Times has, has added some interesting reporting I want to read to you. The East Coast, always in the spotlight, owes a debt to the West, California, Oregon, and Washington, shipping a 1,000 ventilators back to New York, and then posing this larger question, should Western states be getting more attention for their relative success? The early intervention of West Coast governors and mayors may have mitigated the medical catastrophe that has actually befallen New York and parts of the Midwest and South, noting New York's high rate of death, 44 to 100,000. California, nowhere near that at two. Uh, and so I wonder if you think this is sort of your medical expertise on a larger kind of political media point, which is, is Andrew Cuomo in New York getting a lot of attention for his style, for his press conferences, for the fact that there's a lot of media in New York, uh, when in fact you think medically it is true um, that other governors have effectively done a, a measurably better job? Speaker Nancy Pelosi told me she came here to Chinatown to combat fear. That's what we're trying to do today is to say everything is fine here come because precautions have been taken. The city is on top of the situation. She has been going around to show that it is perfectly safe to be here. We do want to say to people, come to Chinatown. Here we are. We're, again, careful, safe, and come join us. We just want everybody not to be afraid to come to Chinatown. Thank you so much. Thank you. How, how is he and the guy who took charge and did a great job? We read the number 17,000 dead people. The most, he has most more cases than some countries in his city and state. And then this breaks. Wait. So Chris Cuomo is both an interviewer for his governor brother and an advisor Chris has also been an advisor to his brother. People have worked for Andrew, told me, sometimes extending his advice to the governor's staff. Yeah. Chris Cuomo, advisor. But he's an objective news person, which takes us to John Carl. And I'm going to read this because it's really good. 
ABC News journalist John Carl just released a book, Front Row at the Trump Show, features the usual denunciations of Donald Trump war on truth. But it diverges from screeds like Jim Acosta's, Acosta's anti-Trump tome. This one actually concedes the hard-left bias of the mainstream media. Carl also hammers CNN counterpart Acosta as a rude opportunist who plays right into Trump's hand. In the introduction on page... 22, Carl, the chief White House correspondent for ABC News, slams the president as a serial liar. But the truth is that the mainstream media coverage of Donald Trump is relentlessly and exhaustively negative. His accomplishes, accomplishments, and there are accomplishments, are either ignored or overshadowed by the drumbeat of outrage fueled by his own outrageous behavior. On page 147, chronicling the early days of Trump White House, Carl again admits, almost as an aside, the relentlessly negative coverage and plenty of media bias. As he settled in the White House, Trump actually had good reasons to be outraged by what was being reported about his administration. The biggest issue wasn't the relentlessly negative tone of the news coverage, although it was certainly relentlessly negative. And the central problem wasn't media bias, although there was plenty of that. Reflecting on election night, the ABC correspondent offered an insider's look at the network newsroom as it became apparent that Clinton would lose. ABC News President James Goldston entered the studio to lecture the assembled crew of journalists. His basic message... Stop acting so depressed over Trump winning. From page 87, it was after 1 a.m. We had not yet called the race for Trump, but it was finally clear to everybody he was going to win. During a commercial break, President James Goldston came out to talk to those of us on the set. I don't remember his exact words, but I remember precisely the message. He wanted us to snap out of it, step up the energy. We're witnessing one of the greatest political upsets ever, maybe the greatest in American history. Whatever anybody thought about the impact of the upset, and already there are signs of global panic with international markets tanking and the value of the Mexican peso falling, this was one hell of a story. What was actually happening on ABC on election night, 2016, around 1 a.m.? Well, ABC News journalist Martha Raddus was getting emotional, struggling to control herself as she reconciled a Clinton loss and Trump victory. Speaking of Trump on foreign policy, her voice quivered. I was also looking back at an interview Tim Kaine gave. Tim Kaine has a son of the Marine Corps who was asked by John Dickerson, so if Trump is democratically elected, are your son in serving as a Marine, you wouldn't trust his life under the commander-in-chief? And Kaine said, I wouldn't. Struggling to hold it together, she continued. That's a pretty extraordinary thing to say, voice breaks. If you have a son of the Marine Corps and you don't trust the commander-in-chief, the people, voice breaks, and the military defend the Constitution. Self-engrandizing CNN journalist Jim Acosta comes up several times in the book. Carl does not appear to be a fan, writing of then... President-elect Trump, January 11th press conference, in which Costa interrupted and screamed out question. Call wrote on page 110, this is a press conference and more than 100 reporters present, and almost only 10 or 15 were likely to be called on. But as the press conference was nearing its end, Costa grew increasingly agitated that he had not been called on. As Trump called on NPR's Mara Lawson, Acosta jumped up and tried to ask questions. Trump wouldn't have it. Your organization's terrible, he said, waving him off. You're attacking our news organization. Can you give us a chance to ask a question, sir? Acosta responded, standing up and trying to take center stage. Acosta kept speaking over the president-elect as if he had a constitutional right to be called on by the president-elect at that particular moment. Don't be rude, Trump said. No, I'm not going to give you a question. I'm not going to give you 
a question. You are fake news. It was an embarrassing start, I thought, for the press corps and for the president-elect. I hated to hear Trump denounce CNN at a press conference. It was decidedly unpresidential. But Acosta was, in fact, rudely interrupting another reporter, a well-respected journalist who wanted to ask a serious question. Acosta was portraying himself as some kind of righteous advocate for the free press. But to most of the reporters in the room, he was rudely interrupting a colleague as she was trying to ask her question. On page 253, Carl described another press conference in which Acosta left early to call for journalistic protest against Trump. A few minutes later, Acosta quietly left the room. Not many people noticed. CNN's seat is right by the door, and the briefing was almost over. It's not unusual for a reporter to take an early leave. But Jim later said he left in protest as soon as Sanders left. Acosta was back in the briefing room to do a live report on CNN, and now he was calling for a real protest, a protest led by reporters. There's no government official here, but I'll say that the press is not the enemy of the people. And, you know, I think maybe we should make some bumper stickers, buttons, you know. Maybe we should go out to Pennsylvania Avenue like those folks who chant CNN sucks and fake news. Maybe we should go out all journalists and chant we're not the enemy of the people because I'm tired of this. It was a moment that could have been scripted by the president. Here was a chief, a White House correspondent for a major news network, playing right into the explicit Trump strategy of portraying the press as the opposition party. Reporters should protest outside the White House? Really? I appreciate his passion in taking offense to label enemy of the people. I share it, but the surest way to undermine the credibility of the White House press corps is to behave like the political opposition. Report the facts. Investigate. Ask the hard questions. Don't give speeches from the White House briefing room, and for heaven's sake, don't talk about holding protests against the president and Lafayette Park. Wow. Now, he's a toad. He's a super liberal. But that's pretty frank on where CNN's gone. But I slam CNN. WAPO New York Times are no different. Washington Post reported the printed stimulus check would be delayed for several days so they could print Trump's signature on it. Jenna Johnson, delivery of stimulus check is being slowed down for several days so the president's name can be printed on the check. Kyle Griffin, an unprecedented move, the Treasury Department has ordered Trump's name. Alyssa Milano, he's delaying printing checks so they can update computer code to include his name in the memo line. True story. Trump's name will be on stimulus checked in an unprecedented move. Brian Schatz, you're getting your money late because the president thinks it's more important that he puts his name on it. That was the story at the time, but the Washington Post updated the story after it was published with a statement from the IRS saying that no, checks would not go out on schedule. A Treasury Department spokesman, however, denied any delay and said the plan all along was to issue the checks next week. Economic impact payment checks are scheduled to go out on time and exactly as planned. There is absolutely no delay whatsoever. Matt Whitlock, how fake news spreads so quickly, you never know that the very article they tweeted directly refuted what they were tweeting. Twelve, Twelve paragraphs in, economic impact payment checks are scheduled to go out on time and exactly as planned. There's absolutely no delay whatsoever. Now you have U.S. Senators promoting the story based on the original fake news published by the Washington Post. It's like an outrageous game of gaslighting telephone. And, of course, Senator Gary Peters didn't read her article. Michigan 
Families need relief now. This is unacceptable. It's actually not the story. It's the tweets. They read the headline. And the article says the actual opposite. But the reporters want to be cool. They want to get that dig at Trump. So they put out a specious tweet and the left loses their shit over it. Ara Tavana, the signature equivalent of a swastika. And then the world says to him, wow, I can't believe you just took Nazi blood money then. Literally Hitler direct deposited my funds so my hands are clean, people joke back. And the best one came from, ask the NSA, I made fetch happen. Narrator, he still took the money. And the funniest part about it is all the stories that are coming out. Stimulus checks are being spent on dildos, tigers, guns, stripper pole. There's a lady who literally put in here, stimulus check came in this morning and I immediately paid off my credit card and bought my first toy, just trying to orgasm by 25 as a male, I feel sorry for her that nobody's ever gotten her off. But secondly, why would you put that on the internet? And the sex toy she bought was just insane. There are people buying Bird One e-scooters, Yeezy shoes, paintball stuff. I mean, what are they going to do? And then we have the journalists that are still stuck on just, we're just going to keep blaming Trump, say it's all his fault. Jennifer Rubin, here's how many people Trump killed, and they show the current death projection intervening one week earlier, and they're still playing that shit, and the whole world attacked her. Reddit CEO Ellen Powell bashes Trump. We can measure his failures and deaths. New York Times, we decide not to live stream the briefings because they were becoming like campaign events. Time Dean Baquette told Daily Beast, we will write about them as warranted. And the whole world goes, did Biden ask you to do that? Because we even have liberal people starting to slam New York Times now for the coverage of the lady. Chris Johnson, my turn in the crucible, getting ready to ask Trump's question in the Rose Garden briefing today. That's brought to you by Jim Acosta. Now you have a new journalist doing it. And the whole world was saying, cool story, bro. I was in Afghanistan. Chris Hayes. In my absolutely darkest moment, right after the 2016 election, I could not imagine this moment, thousands of Americans dying a day, an economic contraction to rival the Great Depression, and Trump just listing off the names of CEOs while congratulating himself for a job well done. Just incredibly bleak. And once again, the world. Your darkest moment right after the 2016 election? Say it all. Cupcake. Get a grip. That wasn't the worst one. The worst one came late last night. And I I, I don't know why you write this. As a a male, and maybe Seltzer's gay, I don't know. Um, But as a male, I, I... He does his newsletters. And this is what he put out. Brian Seltzer. Last night, I hit a wall. 
Gutted by the death toll, disturbed by the government shortcomings, dismayed by political rhetoric that bears no resemblance to reality, worried about friends who are losing jobs, kids who are missing school, and senior citizens who are living in fear. You know what? Let, let's 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 do this right and do it with music. Brian Seltzer Last night, I hit a wall Gutted by the death toll Disturbed by the government's shortcomings Dismayed by political rhetoric that bears no resemblance to reality Worried about friends who are losing jobs Kids who are missing schools and senior citizens Who are living in fear I crawled in bed and cried for our pre-pandemic lives. Tears that had been waiting a month to escape. I wanted to share because it feels freeing to do so. Now is not a time for faux invincibility. Journos are living this, hating this, like everyone else. See. The article attached goes, It feels wrong against basic human nature to find amusement in these comments, but just exactly does a, a man like Seltzer divorce himself and his very industry from the item he he is mourning over in these tweets. Political rhetoric that bears no resemblance to reality. You just described the behavior of your network, Brian. Those seem to be the very marching orders of Jim Acosta. People's responses. Crying is very healthy for men. Just do it. So no one could see you. Matt Dawson. Did you cry about the 40,000 plus flu deaths in 2012? VK. You've been crawling and crawling in bed, in bed, and crying every night since Trump won. Aggie the Barbera. The only wall you hit was the one by your fridge bar, but it was nice of Brian to segue deftly from the massive pain felt across the nation and turn to the tension on those truly in need. Larry Gadbury. I don't begrudge the emotional breakdown as much as I do your final sentence in making all about you journal firefighters. Journalists are screeching about the prospects of opening the country back up so that tens of millions who are out of work can return to normalcy. But you should pause for a moment about, hey, how do they feel? Lisa, such bravery. Let's all take a moment to think about the journos working from home while millions have lost their jobs. Arthur Schwartz, do you still wake up every morning ready to go do battle for China and the DNC? Bravo, Brian. Brad Slager. Imagine how you might feel if the media had not focused entirely on demonizing the president, exonerating the country responsible for the outbreak, and detailing worst-case scenarios. Had you been more interested in the truth and positive guidance, it could have been better. Yet you still carry water for China. I don't mock him because he cried. 
for the record, I cry. I cry a lot in my older age. I really don't like it. I mean, commercials could get me occasionally. But the point is, do you really think he cried? Does anybody believe he cried? No, he didn't. It's once again to make it about them. My wife has nailed this whole corona thing. From the world, one world last night, to uh, artists playing music, to Lady Gaga, to Beyonce last night, and uh, nurses, and uh, I, I just blocked the lady. I don't even know who she is. Um, she has to be my friend. I did a post about Lowe's. My wife really wanted flowers. I've been trying to keep her away from it. But I finally relented and I tried to get her some goddamn flowers so she just give me some fucking peace about bitching about not being able to flat, plant flowers. Lowe's was a fucking shit show. There was 500 fucking people in there. Nobody was masked. Nobody was social distancing. Nobody was doing anything. There was no control. And she finally got what I was trying to do. She picked them out and she goes, she just looks at me and I go, go to the fucking car. And I had to wait 15 minutes unsocial distancing because nobody was doing it to get her fucking flowers. And I had put it on Twitter, uh, Facebook and I, I wrote the mayor of my city and said, I don't want to be that guy, but this is dangerous because they're not doing anything. I've been to Rural King, a very similar type organization. They were running it like you're supposed to with distancing and they got people roaming to tell people to break it up. I mean, they're doing the right thing to make their money. And I know it's a business. They just want to make money. I got it. I, I, I was a businessman. I'm not just sitting here, Mr. Pension, going, you, you fucking young bucks. But the fact of the matter is, they weren't doing anything. So this lady just goes the fuck off on me about how brave a firefighter and have you ever wore a mask for eight hours. Clearly, she had to be somebody from high school. And she didn't know who I was. Yeah, I've been in a protective mask for all day. So what are you talking about? Because she didn't know I was in the military. She knew nothing about me. So I just blocked her and got rid of her because I didn't know who she was. She asked to be a friend and I just added her because I do that to everybody. But my point is, all these people, look at us. We're heroes. And she goes, everybody's trying to make this about themselves. Celebrities, journos, fucking grocery store workers they just want attention especially the celebrities and journos and they go to the airwaves to go hey look at me i haven't gotten attention lately and by no means do i belittle what grocery store workers are doing or uh, nurses yes they're doing great work and they're exposing themselves to this virus i'm not belittling what they're saying but there's a slice of everything that's like, look at me. I want attention. I want to be a hero. And as a vet, I got to sit and look at it sometimes and go, we've been fighting a war for 20 fucking years. There was no one world for the soldiers that were dying. There was no fund for money for people. I mean, there's gold star families. They don't get shit, man. There was wives that lost their husbands. Within 30 days, they're off the base, homeless. And I know there's military organizations, 
But it wasn't mainstream. It wasn't done up like, you know, we need to take care of our fallen. We need to take care of our soldiers. Yes, there's events and there were organizations, but it wasn't a national movement. And now, it's this whole national thing because it's on everybody's doorstep. I understand that. But you want attention, go look it up in the fucking dictionary, Brian Seltzer. You and your network have politicized this thing from the beginning. You can't come on the backside and say, look at the humanity and these people and this is horrible. You can't have it both ways. You made it what it is. Go in your bed and sleep in it, you fucking little twat. So to take us out to the next section, a little positive, and then we get into some politics. Um, here's a media mash. I haven't done that in a long time. MSNBC's Wallace, Trump tweets like a punk while people die. Isn't that nice? That's a journalist, supposedly. Uh, ABC trying to get CDC director to bash Trump. Media, it's a cover-up. Yeah, they dusted that off, and now they're saying it's a cover-up. Stephanie Rule urging Biden to do a shadow government. Do you remember what we said about Romney when he was doing stuff? Yeah, I do. Scarborough can't be a con and support Trump and Brian Williams... Dogging the presser. So that's our music assignment. And we'll come in to a bump and some facts. And you see Trump sort of self-satisfied, but also now agitating some of the governors saying it's it's your decision. But getting on Twitter uh, and really uh, giving a green light to his supporters who have been protesting in some of these states against the governor's uh, stay-at-home orders, many of which have been extended. So you see a lot of mixed messages as the president continues to want to take credit for the good news and to deflect all the blame and all the tough questions onto governors. So you've got a president eager uh, to, to take credit. you got a president who's watching television, who's reacting when he feels like he doesn't get that credit from other people on television like Governor Cuomo. The big question, the big hurdle here related to testing uh, remains unanswered. All right, Matt Miller, let's slow this way down because this seems like a really important point that Eli is reporting. This moment is like every other in Donald Trump's presidency, where it's about his fragile, teeny tiny ego and the vast uh, nation that he leads. And he's making all of his decisions based on press coverage. Okay. So stipulated. I think that's right. The difference here, Matt Miller, is that people are dying. More than 30,000 people have died. The virus is still spreading across the country. And Donald Trump today, like a punk, seemed to tweet uh, about, about protesters. Now, in the face of increasing evidence that his administration was slow to respond, he has grown increasingly frustrated in recent days, looking to shift the blame. The latest scapegoat, we were just talking about that, the WHO, the president genuinely believes, Michael, that he's not getting enough credit here on this one. As critics say, President Trump is trying to shift the blame by taking on an international body. This morning, amid the coronavirus pandemic, the president pointing fingers announcing he's halting aid to the World Health Organization. The international body which is coordinating the global fight against this pandemic through actions like shipping life-saving medical supplies to 95 countries. Bill Gates said overnight, in, in his words, that that is as dangerous as it sounds. 
You've called the WHO a, an important partner. Do you view cutting off funding to them as dangerous? Did the WHO fail here? And is it wise to suspend funding in the middle of this crisis? Bill Gates calls that dangerous. Dr. Redfield, if... If you cut off funding, if you cut off funding to the WHO, and this is a significant amount of their funding in the middle of a pandemic, what's the impact internationally to, to fighting this virus? All right, Dr. Redfield, that's not really telling me how much damage you think this is going to do, but thank you very much. Him and as for coronavirus, it has exposed his uh, lack of interest and aptitude for governing. He skated by for. Uh, more than three years without a serious crisis as president. Now one is upon him. Uh, the response has been widely uh, condemned by people across the political spectrum. Uh, and so in multiple ways, the walls are closing in. There could come a scenario, though, where the president gets up in that podium one of these days and says, I am declaring the economy back open. He'll be talking to you and other governors. What will you say back to him in that scenario? Yeah, uh, Willie, the only way this situation gets worse is if the president creates a constitutional crisis. Welcome to everybody here in the new age of rebirth and renewal after Easter. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to prime time. The president can try to rewrite history. He can try to cover up and do what he does best, which is cover his own Flank. He also said that he's ready for a constitutional fight. If the president commands that the economy is open and New York is not ready, Governor Cuomo said he is ready for the constitutional crisis, as he called it, that will follow. Now, we've got to be fair. When the president backs off on something and eases the pressure, good. But we need to be facts first. We know there's a cover-up attempt going on here. This president doesn't want to own his own actions. President Trump is counting on members of a new task force to advise him on how and when to reopen the country. A decision many of the nation's governors say is for them to make, including Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York, who is warning of a constitutional When you see President Trump with his erratic leadership and his daily, you know, clown show press conferences to have real upstanding leaders like Barack Obama and Elizabeth Warren talk about Joe Biden in personal terms, the kind of leader he would be, that contrast is really important right now. And it's a contrast that the Biden campaign is going to bank on going forward. Then do they need to do it in a bigger way? You What did you just call it? The president's daily clown show? That's his press briefing? Should Joe Biden be counter-programming that? Should he be creating his own shadow government, shadow cabinet, shadow SWAT team, and getting up there at a podium every night saying, here's the crisis we're in, here's what we need to do to it? I mean, I don't think the, don't think the media should run the daily briefings, but it's... It's not because I'm afraid they're helping Donald Trump. I, I, I just they're not news, but they're actually right. hurting Donald Trump right. day in and day out. People see Cuomo, even lifelong Republicans tell me they look at Cuomo and they're like, God, there's a leader. Why can't Donald Trump stop tweeting? Why can't he shut his mouth? Why can't he just do his job? Obviously, those are all rhetorical questions. He can't do it, but he's really damaging his political standing by going out every day and engaging in clownish behavior. And that's, by the way, conservative. Well, not conservatives. You can't be conservative and support Donald Trump. Trumpists are even saying that now. 
But even some critics of the WHO say the worst time to cut off its funding is in the middle of a pandemic. That save that beef, save this discussion about reforms for later. So doing it now is a bold and controversial stroke by the president. But let's step back again to what this really is. It is another attempt by the president to turn your attention to somebody else. So obviously they, they feel like they've come up with a, a, a distraction to use at today's briefing. Yesterday it was the news media. Uh, today it's the WHO. And if you go through the scapegoats that he's blamed uh, so far for this coronavirus pandemic, the WHO, members of the news media, Democrats in Congress, uh, governors, he's blamed China, he's blamed the Obama administration, he's blamed everybody but himself. And, and Wolf, it, it just it comes to mind what we saw yesterday during that briefing, that Monday meltdown, when he played that propaganda video in the White House briefing room. Uh, these briefings uh, altogether are, are coming across like something out of Baghdad Bob. Uh, Baghdad Bob being the Iraqi military official who was claiming during the Iraq war that the United States uh, was not making its way into the Iraqi capital. Uh, the president is sounding very uh, Baghdad Bob-like in the way that he's uh, signing blame to everybody but himself. He is not taking any responsibility for this. Uh, one of the things he just said a few moments ago about the World Health Organization, I'll, I'll just read you the quote. He says, it would have been so easy to be truthful. That was an exact quote from the president. And yet this is a president who time and again uh, throughout this crisis has been playing fast and loose with the facts, lying about things, uh, for example, saying that the Obama administration uh, left the cupboards bare when they uh, left office. Uh, Jonathan Lemire, the, the gaslighting today, uh, again, in full view, the, the graphic we just showed, part of a freeze frame of the video clips that the media diminished the rise of the uh, coronavirus. It seems, uh, depending on what you read, that most of the people watching are the people arguing none of us should be carrying these events live, which is a conversation and a debate for another time. Who is watching and who do you think he's aiming at? Is, is this straight to the base? Cause this is a, this is a two hour undertaking for any and all of us who watch this. Certainly some of this is aimed at the base, and we're, we're seeing the attacks of the media uh, play towards that audience. He, the president knows that you know a lot of his supporters dislike the mainstream media, and he can always sort of score some points. But more than that, it's about trying to undermine the press's credibility uh, when the media, when we uh, report bad headlines down the road, perhaps the supporters will be less inclined to believe them because of the shots the president has taken, the attempts that he does tries to paint us as biased uh, when that, of course, is not what journalists are trying to do in that briefing room. They're trying to get information, and that, it, that needs to not be overlooked here. Today, 600,000 cases, 25,000 deaths. I know you want to bring, blame the WHO, but I've spoken to hundreds of people across the country in the last few weeks who say they still can't get tested and that uh, they aren't social distancing because so they the are yeah, yeah, yeah. so Excuse me. I know, I know your question. You ready? The governors, the governors are supposed to do testing. It's up to the governors. Go ahead, please. Go ahead, please. Quiet. 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 The governors are doing the testing. It's now not up, and it hasn't been up to the federal government. Go ahead. I told them when they put this guy here. It's nothing but trouble. He's a showboat. If you keep talking, I'll leave, and you can have it out with the rest of these people. If you keep talking, I'm going to leave, and you can have it out with them. 
Just a loudmouth. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony We also have new information tonight that you heard John Roberts ask about, about the origins of the coronavirus. Multiple sources say this may be the costliest government cover-up of all time by China. The belief now, you heard the chairman of the Joint Chiefs asked about it, that the intelligence was inconclusive. But there is a growing belief that the COVID-19 virus originated in the Wuhan lab, not as a bioweapon, but as China's effort to find and deal with viruses to show the world China was as good as or better than the U.S. on that front. It's believed that the virus was bat to human and then human, the human patient zero worked at the lab, went into the population in Wuhan and the virus quickly spread from there. China, according to sources, moved quickly to shut down travel domestically from Wuhan to the rest of China, but did not immediately stop international flights from Wuhan. Uh, these sources say the World Health Organization was complicit from the beginning, helping China cover its tracks. And that is where we begin tonight. Chief White House Correspondent John Roberts starts us off. Good evening, John. You asked about this reporting tonight. Got something from the president and obviously part of the reason why the president's coming down so hard on the WHO. Yeah, there certainly has been a real change in tone from back in early February when the president described the WHO as some of the best and the brightest, clearly, as this information begins to develop and is beginning to gain more traction now among U.S. officials. The president is changing his mind not only about the WHO, but about what happened in China. I asked him directly the information that you and I had uh, discussed earlier today. Uh, he didn't really go down the road of a concrete answer, but he did suggest that uh, he's looking at the that and that, that that is becoming something that the federal government really wants to know a whole lot more about, Brett. Obviously, China has pushed back about this line. The WHO came mm -hmm. out publicly and said uh, they were disappointed in the U.S. decision. Um, but the president appears to be at least warming up to this line of thinking. And really, the origins of this virus become a big, big story if it all pans out, as these sources are saying. Yeah, there's there's no question about that. And, and and that's why I asked the president the follow up, because he speaks to President Xi on many, many different occasions. He says he's got a great relationship with him. So I asked the president if in any of the conversations that he has had in recent months with President Xi or, or even going back a couple of years, because there is this uh, reporting, which we have confirmed now, that uh, officials from the U.S. Embassy in Beijing visited this virology lab, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and were concerned enough about but a lack of safety protocols there that they cabled back to the State Department that something should happen on this front to tighten up those security protocols. That's why I asked the president if he ever spoke to President Xi about that. The president said, I'm not going to tell you what I told President Xi or talk to him about uh, in regard to the laboratory, but it does sort of indicate that there may have been a conversation there. A lot of mea culpas are happening right now because... The facts are starting to come out. It leaked last week on our podcast of um, them talking about uh, it coming from a lab. And 
Slowly but surely, we're getting the trickle, and that was Fox reporting. China blame market deflect blame from lab. Uh, New York to start reporting probable coronaviruses to the CDC as death. That's what we said. That's NBC News reporting it. It's not getting mainstream push on the networks because they're about fear. They want fear still. Our This is America Today is just them not wanting to open up the freaking economy. It's a huge push on the left. AEI releases conservative estimates of China's true outbreak. The Wall Street Journal reported this. The estimate found that China had a minimum of 2.9 million coronavirus cases and an insane 4.7 death rate. Because now everything we talked about on the show is now coming out. It's gotten so bad, CNN, who was covering up, even came out and talked about it. Health officials around the world say that there's no question the coronavirus outbreak began in China. But today, U.S. intelligence and national security officials say they're investigating the possibility the virus spread from a Chinese laboratory and not, as originally believed, from a market in Wuhan, which is what the Chinese government originally claimed. U.S. officials do not say they believe the virus was spread intentionally or purposefully in any way, but they are looking into whether it originated from the lab and then spread accidentally. It is, of course, premature to draw any conclusions, but the Chinese government's lack of transparency and its sharing of erroneous information, not to mention its cover-up, has certainly not inspired confidence among world leaders. Today, the U.K. also called for a, quote, deep-dive review of the Chinese government's early handling of the pandemic. CNN's David Culver reports from Shanghai. At the start of the outbreak, this is where China directed the world's attention, suggesting that this Wuhan seafood market was the source of the novel coronavirus outbreak. CNN even traveled there just before the city locked down in January. Officials had shut down the wet market, and security told us to leave. U.S. intelligence officials tell CNN they are investigating another possible source, suggesting the virus may not have originated naturally as China has advertised, but rather that it possibly started in a Wuhan lab. Sources say it is one of many origin theories the U.S. is looking into. Chinese officials pushing back against that claim on Thursday. The foreign ministry spokesperson dismissing that the virus started in a lab, instead stressing that, quote, this is a scientific issue that should be studied by scientists and medical experts. Yet, it is the same spokesperson who last month floated a controversial theory, tweeting that it might be the U.S. Army who brought the epidemic to Wuhan. China tried to say at one point, maybe this stuff now, that it was caused by American soldiers. That can't happen. It's not going to happen. Not as long as I'm president. Uh, it comes from China. The latest debate over the virus's actual origin coincides with a damning Associated Press report. It claims China sat on critical information for six full days, from January 14th until January 20th, downplaying the outbreak in public, before finally revealing the full scope of the threat. The AP report is based on what they characterize as a memo from a January 14th confidential teleconference involving the head of China's National Health Commission. 
CNN has combed through the government's public report of that teleconference, which was released more than a month after it took place. It says a, quote, sober understanding of the situation was made known to top Chinese government officials, adding that, quote, clustered cases suggest that human-to-human -human transmission is possible. But that was not the message shared publicly from health officials at the time. In fact, as hundreds of millions traveled leading up to the Lunar New Year holiday, mass gatherings at airports and railway stations, the Wuhan Health Commission maintained that the outbreak was controllable and preventable and that this was not contagious. It was not until January 20th that leading health officials acknowledged publicly cases of human-to-human -human transmission, and they even stated that medical personnel had gotten infected. CNN spoke with one of the doctors who early on tried to sound the alarm and contracted the illness. <laughs> Wuhan ophthalmologist Dr. Li Wenliang was reprimanded in early January by Wuhan police. They accused the 34-year-old of spreading rumors after he had messaged friends, warning them of a SARS-like illness going around. Instead of listening to his warning, police silenced Dr. Li and other whistleblowers. He died of coronavirus in early February. CNN's early reporting also highlighted an underreporting of cases. Wuhan residents telling us that their loved ones were never tested, despite suffering from coronavirus-like symptoms. Instead, their deaths listed as severe pneumonia. Whether it was intentional or due to a lack of testing, for some, China's reported numbers of coronavirus cases and deaths does not add up. The mere fact that we don't know the answers, that China hasn't shared the answers, I think is very, very telling. China's repeatedly maintained that they have been open and forthcoming in their handling of this outbreak. On Wednesday, China's foreign ministry said that in an open, transparent and responsible manner, China has kept the WHO and relevant countries updated on the outbreak. But Jake, if the early cover-up and the mishandling at the local level was in fact known by top officials here, their delayed action might overshadow the massive containment effort that China so proudly promotes. David, great reporting. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo today says the U.S. government is, quote, working diligently to figure out the origin of the coronavirus. Sources tell CNN they are specifically looking into whether the virus spread from a Chinese laboratory rather than a market, as previously reported. Now, while those sources say it's premature to draw any conclusions, China continues to deny this accusation. CNN's Kylie Atwood is joining us now live from the State Department. And Kylie, uh, tell us about this, because, of course, this is coming as the administration is also focused on deflecting blame and focusing instead on the Chinese. Yeah, that's right. That is extremely important context here, Brianna. We have seen the Trump administration and allies of the president try to deflect criticism by criticizing others for how they have handled uh, the outbreak of this pandemic. It is a distracting mechanism. But at the same time, there are remaining questions about the precise origin of this novel coronavirus. So national security and intelligence officials have told us that the U.S. government is looking into the possibility that this novel coronavirus originated in a Chinese lab instead of in a wet market. Now, they are not saying that there is any reason to believe that this is a bioweapon, that this was a man-made bioweapon, but rather that it could have spread from a Chinese lab 
accidentally. And it's important to note that in the context of this conversation, the Chinese government has not been forthcoming over the last few months with regard to information they have provided to the world about this pandemic. And that's one thing that Secretary Pompeo highlighted when he spoke about this last night and said that the U.S. is working to get to the origin of this virus. Depending on who's reporting, you see the difference in the tone and everything because they want to play it as, well, it's racist to say that stuff, and uh, he's just trying to deflect blame and blah, blah, blah. Then it broke that they doubled their death estimates to 3869 in Wuhan, which we know is a lie. But this tweet really grabbed me. Barely three months ago, the mere suggestion that coronavirus originated in Wuhan Biolab was brought in conspiracy theory. Now it's a mainstream possibility. BBC, uh, Fox, CNN, two different times. Newsweek. Everybody's starting to report it. Everybody. Everybody's starting to report. Nursing home doctor says he successfully treated 39 coronavirus patients with hydrochloroquine. That broke off this week and we heard less of it and then i didn't cover it last time but vernon jones endorsed the president and his statement jones told the Atlanta journal constitution that he viewed trump as a transformative president whose policies have helped african americans it's very simple to me president trump handling of the economy his support for historically black colleges and his criminal justice initiatives drew me to endorse his campaign there are a lot of African-Americans who clearly see and appreciate what he's doing. When you look at the unemployment rates along black Americans before the pandemic, they're historically low. That's just a fact. Well, now they're going after him. Um, let's see. Uh, okay. Within hours, the interviewing being published, Democrats in Georgia began condemning Jones. John Jackson, I'm aware that Jones has endorsed Trump. This is in no way acceptable. Action will be taken by DeKalb GA Dem Steering Committee meeting on Thursday. I'll address this more later. State Senator Nakima Williams, who chairs the state Democratic Party, released a statement. Um, Jones for endorsing the racist president. The senator called Jones an embarrassment to Georgia. Jones chose to stand with a racist president who's made an all-out assault on black Americans who've tried to rip away American health care and have failed our country in the greatest time of need during the most important election in our lifetime. Vernon Jones doesn't speak for Georgians, and neither does Donald Trump, which is why Georgians will send him home in 2020. Uh, Vernon Jones is an embarrassment to the Democratic Party and doesn't stand for our values. He made that clear today by choosing to stand with a racist president. She said it again. Josh McLaurin said it. Said he wasn't a real Republican because he didn't stand for tan, uh, trans rights. <laughs> yeah. It's trans rights. So I, I had to get that in there before I got in the big whammy. So Trump tweets liberate certain states. States are starting, and this is before Trump tweeted it, protests. Because there are states, you know, I had a Zoom meeting with my family yesterday. Oregon's got 1,800 cases. Colorado doesn't have that much. We don't have that much. I mean, I'm still treating it like it's the end of days, but it's not that many. And this week, Michigan did Operation Gridlock. So reckless, the legal definition, is that you perceive a risk and then do that risky thing anyway. And it seems to me the exact definition 
of the president saying to protesters in states that are following his guidelines, by the way, they are federal directives. Yeah, you should be angry. You should liberate your states. What's the play for him in that? Well, the play for that is, is to his base as well as to cover up his own malfeasance and misfeasance throughout this uh, terrible episode in our history from January to March while he fiddled and Rome literally burned. But let's look at what he did and said today. The President of the United States, at the moment of this nation's utmost vulnerability since World War II, preached and incited to the people of this country insurrection. It's madness and it's a, a degree of recklessness that's really inconceivable. And one of the things you're seeing from the governors, particularly they're led by Larry Hogan, a Republican of Maryland, uh, your, your brother, the governor of, uh, of New York, a Democrat, but they are almost united to the person in knowing how reckless this president has been through this ordeal. And now we find ourselves in a situation where, like looking at nurses in garbage bags in our operating theaters, in our hospitals, in our ICU units, we don't have the most basic testing apparatus that uh, Singapore, that South Korea was able to save its citizens because it proceeded methodically. And we have a president who says, I'm not a supply clerk. Can you imagine FDR in World War II saying, I'm not a supply clerk? Here are your two sides. This was as predictable as today's sunrise. Uh, You have Governor Cuomo and those like him on one side. On the other side, you have the president, who just looking at his Twitter feed this morning, seems to want to start a kind of populist prairie fire, forgetting for the moment we're talking about a lethal virus. He has air support from Fox News. Andrew Cuomo has all but called the president of the United States a parade master. He's accused him of causing mayhem. He's questioned his integrity, his willingness to help out a state, saying he's doing a modicum of what would be required and responsible for the president of the United States. And it's depressing that we're going to lose uh, a day in the fight to a verbal and Twitter war back and forth between the president uh, and the governor of New York. This notion of a prairie fire, red states versus blue in some cases, populations in blue states against uh, the governors who so far uh, have been adept in handling this virus. I just feel like this divisiveness that the president is launching is really going to get out of control and going to be bad for all of us and put people's lives in danger. Note that those three states are three states the president needs to win to win re-election in November, so it seems very obviously politically motivated. Um, How does that, or what does that mean for the rest of us, uh, the states with governors who are are not ready to reopen for our reopening times, if we start seeing hot spots flare in some of these states that governors are, are taking the president's advice or bowing to pressure from the president's base?
Secure Michigan. You know what today is all about? Free Michigan. That's what people want. Also making headlines in Lansing, Governor Whitmer's extended stay-at-home order not going over well with many Michigan residents, so much so they're gathering in protest at the state capitol this afternoon. It's called Operation Gridlock. And Rod Maloney joining us now live. It's very loud out there, Rod. you got to look at how things are shaping up. What are you seeing? Well, it's it's uh, bedlam here, actually, Evrod. I mean, uh, Operation Gridlock is exactly doing what they set out to do, which is to clog the streets all around the state capitol. Uh, most people were told to stay in their cars, but as you can see, there are a lot of people on foot out here, a lot of people wearing masks, a lot of people wrapping themselves in flags, and a lot of people with protest signs saying things like, are you shutting down my taxes, question mark. All in all, this protest has shown that there are a lot of very frustrated people in the state of Michigan. The decorated cars and trucks showed up hours early, many from industries like boating and construction, many here chafing at the governor's stay-at-home order. Yes, there are Trump flags here, but conservative coalition organizer Matt Seeley, who spoke with us before the rally, said... We've gone out of our way to make it nonpartisan. This is about... Michigan citizens just saying that our civil liberties are being violated, and this has gone too far. The organizer's poster said, quote, the governor's driving us out of business, we're driving to Lansing, end quote. And they did. At first, lining up outside the Capitol's front door, Michigan State Police lined up at the side door in order to keep order. Rally organizers say they intend to follow the safe distancing rules and ask protesters to stay in their vehicles. Still, they want the governor to know their deep displeasure. Mishan Maddock is a Milford business owner and coalition spokesperson. This this arbitrary blanket spread of shutting down businesses about putting all of these workers um, out of business is just, it's a disaster. Now, for her part, the governor defended her order this morning on the Today Show. Michigan has the third most COVID-19 cases in the nation right now, and we are not the third largest state in the nation. That tells you we've got a unique crisis on our hands and that it demands a unique uh, solution. Now, we have uh, seen, actually not seen, cars and trucks move at all around the state capitol here in the last hour. They got started an hour before the rally was even supposed to start. We'll see how much uh, energy they have going forward. It's supposed to last until 2 p.m., and uh, we'll let you know later on if, in fact, it goes that long. So far, uh, it probably will go that long and perhaps even longer. Reporting live in Lansing, Rod Maloney, Local 4. All righty, Ron, thank you for the update there. Yeah, I just threw it all in one bag there because the media was not down with this. There are so many people freaking out about these protests. I mean, Whitmer herself this week, um, I have two sound bites. Um, we'll just play it all together. We're going to play her talking about abortion, her talking about this, saying stupid shit like, well, what are you going to do? It's snowing outside. And the media was just all in on protecting this Democratic governor that has a recall petition with hundreds of thousands of signatures. As we speak uh, in Texas and a couple of other states, I think Ohio may be another, uh, the, the state has asked to suspend abortion services a, as part of this COVID-19 protocol. Uh, this is probably going to go to the Supreme Court. 
What, what, what is your reaction to that? You're a governor. You have to make these decisions as well. There are other procedures that have been suspended. You know, we we stopped elective surgeries here in Michigan. And some people have tried to say that that type of a um, procedure is considered the same. And that's ridiculous. Uh, you know, a woman's health care, her whole future, her d- ability to decide if and when she starts a family is is um, not an election. It is a fundamental to her life. Uh, it is life-sustaining, and it's something that um, government should not be getting in the, in the middle of. So we just had snow. I've got snow on the ground here in Michigan right now in Lansing. We're expecting you know, up to 30 inches in the Upper Peninsula. The fact that we're cracking down on people traveling between homes or planting or um, landscaping or golfing really for a couple more weeks isn't going to meaningfully impact people's ability to do it because the snow will do that in and of itself. that it is um surreal is not the right word but it's close it's remarkable at least uh, that this was the scene yesterday outside the michigan state capitol uh, confederate flag waving trump 2020 flag waving people out on the street and ultimately blocking traffic in protest of the michigan governor having a stay-at-home order in place uh, these protesters demanding that the governor just rip the lid off, open it back up, let folks get back to business as usual. Why all this overreacting? It's only more than 2,000 dead and counting. It's that kind of irresponsible action that puts us in this situation where we might have to actually think about extending stay-home orders, which is supposedly what they were protesting. What kind of principles did you consult? What kind of expertise did you consult to come up with this list of imperatives for nursing homes? Because you really are cutting some new terror, cutting a new path here uh, in a way that other states haven't done. Governor, I have to ask you, um, and I'm sure you know it's coming. Uh, I know that it's probably all the national discussion about you has probably been a distraction while you were dealing with this crisis in your state. Um, but as Joe Biden um, enters into his the phase of his candidacy in which he needs to be thinking about a running mate, a lot of people have talked about you. If Vice President Biden asked you to be his running mate, would you say yes? So, Joy, you have questions you, you uh, wanted to ask the protesters, like what? Well, I'd like to ask them if they're willing to sign away their right to treatment. If and when they get infected, are you going to say, okay, I don't need a ventilator because I thought I should go out and defy the governor's order? Okay? And, and I'd like to know if people are in states that are following the guidelines, like people like us in New York, can be sure that these people don't come here. I mean, they blocked an ambulance the other day. Can't they be charged and arrested for that? I understand the fact that, you know, they're, they're upset because they can't get their veggies. But hello, we're talking about this disease being way more um, um, infecting and, and worse than they even thought. 
you know? And, and by right. the way, uh, they're right. watching Fox a little too much. They're watching Laura Ingram, um, who tweeted, time to get your freedom back. And then the brilliant Janine Pirro, in early March, she was parroting Trump that the infection rate would drop as the weather warms. I mean, this is who they're listening to. So, again, do you, then will you say I won't get the treatment if I get the virus? That's my question. They're only extending the misery by going out and ignoring these. I mean, they have to look at other countries. I believe it was New Zealand that basically is, has the whole thing under control because she locked down the whole country. Okay, I'm not comparing us. Wow. We don't have that, a few people like they do. But still, those are the things. If each state uh, behaved like New Zealand, maybe we could fix this before 2022. True. Uh, and Senator Kennedy of Louisiana says making the decision to reopen the economy is like choosing between uh, cancer and a heart attack because the virus will spread easier or rather faster when we do. Why is Senator Kennedy arguing the uh, economy over people's lives? Tea Party-esque Trump-supporting protesters today demonstrated both in Kentucky and in the great state of Michigan against the stay-at-home orders that are in place in those states as well. These, were, these are doubling as sort of Trump rallies and we don't believe in the coronavirus rallies. Um, I will tell you that in Michigan, that showed up in the local press in the form of this remarkable juxtaposition of stories on the front page of the De Detroit Free Press. You see there on the left side, thousands rally against Governor's stay-at-home order in Lansing. Right across in the middle column there, Oakland County could use ice rinks to store bodies. Good evening. As the number of COVID deaths has surged to at least 32,000 in this country, that drumbeat to reopen the economy is landing with a dull thud in regions still seeing their deadliest days. Daily deaths in New York still routinely hovering above 700 and where there is not enough testing capacity to safely ease restrictions. All as a new crisis grows around the country, hunger. Our correspondents have it all covered. First, Gabe Gutierrez. Tonight, the calls to reopen parts of the nation's economy are growing louder. Protesters at the Michigan State Capitol blasted the governor's strict stay-at-home order, which, among other things, even restricts interstate travel. Putting all of these workers um, out of business is just, it's a disaster. President Trump is now suggesting some states might start reopening before May 1st. We have beautiful pieces, beautiful states with capable governors. They know when it's time to open. But in the Northeast, the crisis is far from over. COVID-19 took another 752 lives in New York State, and those are only the confirmed cases. It's so hard. Michael Merritt is an ER nurse in New York whose patient died within an hour of getting to the hospital. I FaceTime the family where the man was dying so they could be with him. He has this message for those who want the country to reopen. I'm sorry for people that's suffering from unemployment. But I'm seeing so much pain and sadness and sickness every single day. I don't understand why they would even consider it. The overwhelming majority of governors in this country, as you know, have issued stay-at-home orders, but yours uh, have, have been uh, considered to be among the most stringent in this country. Um, folks who have vacation homes in Michigan, if they're residents, they're not being allowed to travel to those vacation homes. Uh, you're, you're asking stores that sell things like, you know, paint and garden supplies, uh, having those stores shut down, not considering them essential. 
What, what's what, what's the thinking behind uh, your particular stay-at-home order? Well, let me tell you this. Michigan has the third most COVID-19 cases in the nation right now, and we are not the third largest state in the nation. That tells you we've got a unique crisis on our hands and that it demands a unique uh, solution. Your name has been mentioned a few times as a possible vice presidential candidate. If, if Joe Biden were to ask, would you accept? You know what? I, I have got my hands full with COVID-19 in the state of Michigan right now. I am 15 months in on the job, a job that I've I worked two years to get. Um, I'm not focusing on the national politics at the moment. It should be noted that Governor Gretchen Whitmer did not say no. Uh, Governor Whitmer, thank you. <laughs> and, and good luck there to you in Michigan as well. Lady who does the um, 1619 project, Ida Bay Wells. And this is what we always talk about. We talk about it in everything we do. If, well, I'll get to it in a second. Why are there flying Confederate flags? People, I love you did it. Not a coincidence. I would have never considered this. Thank you for doing your job and the rest of the world. That's all you found. That's all you found was that. That's it. You found a Confederate flag. You looked for a Confederate flag. Or something to say. It is, it's so reminiscent of the Tea Party. Alyssa Milano, this is not okay. Donald Trump, you're the most fucked up president ever. You incite this carelessness with your tweets and you should be removed from office. <clears throat> and then Minnesota, Wisconsin does it and Acosta and Wolf Blitzer come on the air dogging the protesters just like always. When left protests happen, the grassroots they're patriots. When right does it, they're worthless pieces of fucking racist shit.
Jim, there doesn't appear to be any social distancing or other safety measures at these protests against the uh, stay-at-home orders we're seeing at various places around the country, but the president is actually encouraging them. That's right. Well, President Trump appears to be stoking unrest in states around the U.S. where conservative demonstrators are protesting against social distancing measures. Mr. Trump is stirring up his supporters who have organized Tea Party-like protests to lash out against social distancing measures. Just minutes after a Fox News report on the demonstrations, the president began tweeting, liberate Minnesota, liberate Michigan, and liberate Virginia, states with Democratic governors, echoing his show of sympathy for the protesters less than 24 hours earlier. Mr. Trump is also passing the buck on the money drying up in the government's Paycheck Protection Program, tweeting at congressional Democrats who have left Washington. End your endless vacation. But hold on. Republican lawmakers have gone home, too. It sounds like the president wants to start his own resistance movement. Now Mr. Trump is stirring up his supporters who have organized Tea Party-like protests around the country to lash out uh, against some of these social distancing measures. Now, the president was echoing some of the sympathy he was showing to the protesters just yesterday during that briefing when he said social distancing has been a tough process for some people. It's so typical of our media. It's just pathetic. You know, we're reporting all this stuff, reporting four sheriffs refusing to do her crazy shit. We're not reporting Governor Newsom has pulled out $125 million of taxpayer money to hand to illegal immigrants. We're not reporting that 28 million ballots have reportedly gone missing, the latest study by a nonpartisan group found, as we're saying, we must do mail-in ballots. It's so imperative. We're not reporting about covering up skateboard carts, fucking giving out 22 tickets to people, doing a picnic in their car watching sunsets. They're not near anybody. Our churches, as we did on our last. And then we have a Nancy Pelosi. She did a conference call. Uh, the news agents report that during the call, Pelosi referred to the administration action as almost sinful. The most misrepresentations he puts out there, the more it's obscure as truth. We have to insist upon the truth. And, and what they're saying is not knowledge. It's not facts. It's not real. While the United States lagged behind other countries with respect to coronavirus testing, the Washington Post reports the approximately 147,000 coronavirus tests have been conducted each day for the last seven days. Federal agencies and emergency managers received 600,000 kits from South Korea, a country whose coronavirus response the president has lauded, reported CNN. As far as the personal protective equipment shortage, evidence suggests that the availability of masks is highly dependent on distribution, location, and even the def- definition who qualifies as employee to get it. And she's had very little kickback, except for one. They're just saying they need, they think small business money needs to go now. Can you explain to those small businesses I'm hearing from them, I'm sure you're hearing from them, who now feel that they're in limbo and don't understand why you would be refusing this uh, money now uh, when they think you can get the rest of the money later as well? Well, the, it, what, it, perhaps it might, um, it, it might be clear if you understand. When we talk to McConnell, he says, well, I think that we should do some of that, but let's see how the money that is out there is working for state and local and hospitals before we do more. But let's not see how everything is working when we do state, uh, the, the, the small businesses. Well, we think they all need the resources. Uh, 
Welcome back. We're here with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and we've asked her to share something from her home for a little late, late show and tell. Uh, Speaker Pelosi, what have you found? What are you going to share with us from your home? Chocolate. Really? Chocolate, chocolate, chocolate candy. Oh, wow. And this is, this is something you can get through the mail. Okay. Never run out. Can I show, show you? Me. Yeah, absolutely. This is the episode of Cribs. I never knew I needed. Oh, my. Wow. Other people in our family go for some other flavors, but chocolate, and then we have some other chocolate here. <laughs> yeah. See, I've always felt a connection with you, and now I understand why. Mm -hmm. Since you've been uh, isolating in your house, how much uh, of, your, of your regular diet do you think is ice cream and candy? Well, um... As much as possible, uh, it is. Uh, it, 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 I enjoy it. I like it better than anything else. And I don't know why, but it seems to agree with me. I have a lot of energy, and we just got to restock the ice cream uh, right for Easter Sunday because we were, shall we say, enjoying. I don't know what I would have done if ice cream were not invented. I just wonder. I agree. I don't know who I am without. So to Biden. CNN fact-checker ignores Biden flubs despite vow to cover both sides. He put out a whole thing that he's going to be doing both sides and being up in the freaking honest stuff, but yet he's done none of it over there. It was so bad that Howard Kurtz has dogged the media. And I'm going to play him, then I'm going to play what resembles interviews for Biden over this period. And once again, we're still not talking about Tara Reid. None of it's being done. And I just called it softballs. The Washington Post was the first to report Christine Blasey Ford's allegations of sexual misconduct when she agreed to go on the record in 2018 with her claim that Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh had sexually accosted her at a high school party four decades earlier. The New York Times and the rest of the media quickly pounced. But most news outlets remain silent when Tara Reid, a former Senate staffer for Joe Biden, alleged that he sexually assaulted her in 1993. The Post interviewed Reid starting last year and did not run a story until Monday, once the Times published a lengthy account 19 days after she went public. Times editor Dean Baquet says if his paper was going to cover the story, we needed to introduce it with some reporting and perspective. He says Kavanaugh was treated differently because he was already in a public forum in a large way, while with Biden on the verge of becoming his party's nominee, they weren't in a heated race with the clock ticking. The Times and the Post interviewed a friend who says Reid told her of the alleged assault at the time. There was no corroboration with Ford, who said she told no one about Kavanaugh for decades. These are tough judgment calls, but even now CNN, ABC, NBC, and CBS have made no on-air mention of the Biden allegations. A far cry from how they handled the harassment allegations against candidate Donald Trump. By the way, we have a morning show, special reports coming up in our 8 a.m. hour. We'll be focusing on two key themes. The nation's leading health experts answer your questions about the pandemic, and we're drilling down on how the decisions our leaders make today will affect the country long into the future. Our special guests will include Joe and Jill Biden, Pete Buttigieg and retired General Stanley McChrystal, and 
Lady Gaga talking about mental health. I want to ask you, uh, Mr. Vice President, to talk to the people who are hurting and suffering right now. Willie and Meek and I were talking earlier about what a shame it is that right now in the middle of a pandemic where over 30,000 people have died, hundreds of thousands have been impacted and are suffering right now either by this disease or being out of work. They don't have a national leader that can express empathy. Could you talk to them as a man who's endured loss and, and, and tell them uh, what's on your mind right now and how, how you understand what they're going through? Look, looking at the president's new plan for reopening the country in phases, uh, again, it's up to, the, to the, the states. What do you think of what you heard today from, from the White House? One of the things, uh, Mr. Vice President, is, is people are starting to understand what at least normal could look like for a period of time until the vaccine, as you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, large right. gatherings limited, uh, as you mentioned, temperature, even tests before going into work or a restaurant. People still wearing masks perhaps when they go out in public. What do, what do you think the new normal should look like, Mr. Vice President? <laughs> and, and, and Mr. Vice President, you know, it seems to me that ultimately this balance, and I'm wondering how you think through this, just think through this issue. There's always going to be a balance between public health and wanting to get the, the country back up and running. No matter what we're hearing, once you start opening things up, Mr. Vice President, people are going to get infected. More people are going to get infected. Some may have to go to the hospital and some may sadly die. That will happen at any point before the vaccine is actually available. How, again, I don't, leaving aside specific numbers, how do you think through that in your own mind? How would you make those decisions? I want to bring in uh, just some uh, viewer questions if we can. Evan in Fairbanks, Alaska sure, sent, sure. In, uh, sent in a video question for you. Let's listen. Despite your previous pledge to pick a woman for vice president, would you reconsider that for a qualified candidate who has performed admirably during this crisis, like Governor Cuomo? The coronavirus will have a profound impact on our lives for years to come. Many people believe that very big New Deal-type proposals will be needed in order to recover economically and to ensure the health and safety of all Americans. Are you willing to consider universal health care, basic income, and other ideas that perhaps just a few months ago you would have thought to be too ambitious or unnecessary. I made a little list of some of the things that have been central to your campaign, uh, and, and I'm hoping you can let me know which of these you think could be part of a Biden administration. Universal health care is a biggie. Free college for all, canceled college debt, national rent control, a ban on fracking, a wealth tax, marijuana legalization, a 50% reduction in the prison population. These are all things you've campaigned on that have made you popular. Joe Biden doesn't support any of them. Which do you see him moving on? Well, I think you will see him moving on making public colleges and universities tuition free. Has he promised you anything? Well, we have talked about a number of issues, and you will see those evolving, coming out, uh, I believe, in the next weeks and months. No, I'm thinking it's very hard for Joe Biden right now because, you know, you've got these daily briefings, also known as rallies, that Trump is holding every afternoon for hours. I mean, he just bloviates on and on and on. Um, I'd rather just listen to the doctors at that time so that I can rest in peace. But the truth of the matter is that even if Joe Biden was locked in a trunk in a basement in the middle of the Canary Islands, um, he would still win this election. That's how bad his opponent is. So I don't even, I'm not worried about it that much because everybody knows uh, Joe Biden. It's like having a relative that you haven't seen for a while, but you know he's great.
And when he comes back, you say, okay, good, come, come, sit with us. We want you back. I think that's what really is going on. The most amazing thing about this whole thing brings me to my point I make quite often on the show about when a Republican does something, all Republicans must must answer for it. Republican citizens are labeled with it. Fox News is a piece of shit because of it. Yet, here are all the VP candidates that may run with Biden and their statements on Me Too. I watched that hearing last Thursday, and I believe Dr. Ford. I believe Dr. Ford. I thought she was credible. I believe her. Her, her, her story is credible. It comes down to credibility, to your point, Gail, and it's going to be about uh, listening to what each party has to say, but I believe her. I was proud of Dr. Blasey Ford's response and her demeanor, but more importantly, her, her courage in stepping forward. We must, first and foremost, protect and support the alleged victim as they come forward. This is a very difficult thing that she is doing, and I applaud her for her courage. Anybody who comes forward at this point, that takes an extraordinary amount of courage. There is no doubt in my mind, Harris, that Dr. Ford was a credible witness. Honesty, her integrity, her truth, it, it, it's obvious. A credible, credible woman coming Dr. Ford coming forward and courageous enough to come forward without any benefit to her. She has nothing to gain. So what Senator does she Kim, have to gain? The victims are blamed often and they're not believed and that's why they're reluctant to come forward. I think we all know when something is unfair, when something smells, and we all know this. I believe her. She is credible. She should be heard and this Senate should treat her with respect and dignity that she deserves. But I, I believe her. You know, she's pretty specific about the, the, the structure of the house where it happened. She's, Senator, you no, I've read, no, no, I've read the letter. Let me ask you this, Senator. We're long today, but I, I wanted to read this, and I'm not going to. I'll just read the headline. This came from Slate. Joe Biden sails under the New York Times bar for sexual abuse. The Times has made a bat- pattern of behavior its standard. What happens when an important figure doesn't clear it? And they literally just destroy them on what they did. They didn't investigate it. They asked a few people, and they played it off as if nothing happened. We only have two new sound bites from CBS and PBS on it. And listen to this MSDNC soundbite. And I need to ask you this, obviously, because it's a story in newspapers, on the AP Allegations mm-hmm. by a woman called Tara Reid, who um, accuses the vice president of sexual assault in the 90s when she worked in the Senate office. Um, obviously, the campaign is denying it. What and how are you going to deal with these allegations, particularly in our Me Too world? We also asked Senator Sanders about other concerns some supporters have, including a sexual assault allegation against Joe Biden. His accuser reportedly filed a police report last week, now claiming Biden assaulted her in 1993 when she was working in his Senate office. Published reports indicate her story has changed over the years. Biden's campaign calls the allegation, quote, untrue and says the alleged incident, quote, absolutely did not happen, close quote. Here's what Bernie Sanders had to say about it. One of your most important allies, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, said recently that she thinks it's legitimate and relevant to talk about sexual assault allegations against Joe Biden. Do you agree? I think it's relevant and to talk about anything. And I think any woman who feels that 
She was assaulted, has every right in the world uh, to stand up and make her claims. Do you think that should weigh significantly I, in the mind of... I think that she has the right to make her claims and get a public hearing, and the public will make their own conclusions about it. And I just don't know enough about it to comment further. All right. Lisa, we should point out, you have faced criticism, many in the media have faced criticism for not allegedly going after this claim as aggressively as, say, maybe the claims against Brett Kavanaugh. We're looking at the man who's likely going to be the Democratic nominee. So where does this go from here? Well, I think we're going to continue to see some outlets uh, review this story. And then I just have to, I think we have to wait and see what happens. Uh, notably, President Trump has been fairly silent, completely silent on these allegations, although some around him have not, and they've, uh, they've sent out tweets and other messages about them. Uh, but I think, you know, everything is really overshadowed by a coronavirus right now. So the question will be, as we move into the fall campaign, do these allegations get more traction? Uh, are there more accusations that come out, or is this sort of all that's out there? Because there's no real pattern uh, for Joe Biden in terms of sexual assault right now. This is the only allegation against him. Generally, in these kinds of cases, you look for that kind of pattern. We're not seeing that here. So I think we just have to see how the campaign unfolds, which will have a lot to do, in fact, with how the virus unfolds. All of that is happening as we are also starting to get our first look at the results from last week's chaotic Wisconsin primary, where voters went to the polls in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. NBC's Ali Vitale has been reporting on the allegation against Biden, and she joins me now, along with NBC's Shaq Brewster, who has been following both the Sanders campaign and the election results in Wisconsin. Ali, I, I do want to start with you, and we did just get a two-minute warning for the White House, and people are starting to file in, so if I have to interrupt, I do a Apologize. What do we know about this allegation? Katie, Tara Reid, as you mentioned, worked as a staff assistant in Joe Biden's office from late 1992 until mid-1993. Over that time, she says she was sexually harassed, and now that story has expanded to include an instance of sexual assault. And this story happened in two parts. Reid first came forward in April of 2019, at the same time as they other women like Lucy Flores were coming forward, saying that they were touched inappropriately and felt uncomfortable by Joe Biden. At the time, you'll remember, he said he was going to be a little bit more cognizant of people's personal space. But then in March, Tara Reid expanded her story to say that she was sexually assaulted by Biden in a corridor of the Capitol complex in the spring of 1993 when she brought him a gym bag. Now, I've spoken with Reid multiple times since she made those allegations, and Mike Memoli and I, who also reported this story with me, have also spoken with five people who Allie, Reed Vitale, said she I'm told so sorry. I do have to interrupt. To We're, seeing... Time. We're seeing... Ali Vitali, I'm sorry, I have to interrupt. The President of the United States yeah. has taken the podium. It is now one month since he declared a national emergency. Let's listen. A briefing they usually don't cover, but they'll cover it not to talk about Tara Reid. Molly Hemingway summed it up great. <clears throat> CNN's published 700 articles on Kavanaugh accuser Kristen Blasey beginning as soon as her story came out. For Joe Biden accuser Tara Reid, CNN is enforcing a strict ban, much less enabling the feeding frenzy they created for Kavanaugh. She lists them. Read the letter Kristen Blasey Ford sent. I'm going to do every other one. Republican Senator weighing in. Echoes of Anita Hunt. 
On September 17th, the operation really got rolling with sympathetic coverage around the clock. These senators could break, make or break Kavanaugh. Trump stands by Kavanaugh's support of full process. Kellyanne Conway says Kavanaugh accusers should not be ignored. Kavanaugh allegation lead to White House scramble. Joe Biden's reacts to Kavanaugh allegation, reviving memories of Anita Hill. Why sexual assault survivors often don't come forward. White House plans to defend Kavanaugh relies heavily on women. Anita Hill accusations do not hurt public support for Clarence Thomas. Republicans and Democrats grapple with Kavanaugh. On September 18th, CNN participated, and there was like 30 articles. This is just the 17th. On the 18th, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight. Uh, we'll throw in some of the September nineteenth headlines. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 on one day. The deluge went on and on and on, culminating in more than 700 articles, not to count the hundreds of hours of televised discussion. CNN political campaign against Kavanaugh included sympathetic articles towards Ford, hostile articles of Kavanaugh, supportive pieces about the importance of believing women even when they provide no evidence, hostile pieces about the danger of due process and empathy for men, and targeting a key Republican senators. CNN's work culminated with the award-winning effort to sway Arizona Jeff Flake, broadcasting a confrontation between a professional activist and the wavering senator in a fucking elevator. It's a low bar, but Tara Reid accusation is undoubtedly stronger than the one made about Kavanaugh. Unlike Blasey Ford, she told multiple people about the alleged incident at the time it happened, not three decades later. And unlike Blasey Ford, she has received, she has evidence she met the accused in her case when she worked for him in the U.S. Senate. Here is what CNN has done with the allegations against Joe Biden by Tara Reid. And she left it empty because nothing happened. This article came out, I want to say, on the 11th or 12th. Maybe later. When did it come out? Let me see. So I got my ducks in a row. Her tweet for this. Sorry, it's opening. The tweet she sent this out for was on the 15th. They did it on the 15th, or she did. On the 18th of April, 2020, Jake Tapper, Democrats grapple with the questions about Tara Reid's sexual assault allegation against Joe Biden, CNN politics. That's it. One article to 700. I don't care what you say, folks. Our fucking media is garbage. If Joe Biden was a Republican nominee, every Republican, you and I, who may be conservative, well, non-prog, you'd have to answer for this. It's just simple as that. But, goose egg, nothing. One article, finally, after that was printed by Molly Hemingway, and it was all over Twitter. 
Because they themselves probably didn't know they did 700 articles in 7,000 hours of Kavanaugh. So, to a real music break, this is a song by Nine Inch Nails frontman Trent Reznor. It is from The Watchmen, which I watched, and we're going to do on our Everything's Racist, because that's pretty much what the show was about. It's called The Brick, and when we come back in, we're going to go straight into gay shit. Because um, not doing military corner, and we'll do a brief news and social media nuggets. bubble one podcast at a time here's tony reed come fly with me let's fly let's fly away if you can use some exotic booze there's a bar in far bombay come on and fly with me let's fly let's fly away were you trying to get crazy with this thing don't you know i'm local now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Hey, 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 bow, 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 little pump and cut. Hey, gang shit, 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 gang shit. At this moment, are you listening? With well over 23,000 Americans dying of this virus, with millions and millions putting their lives on hold, this president chooses this very moment to turn what is supposed to be a coronavirus briefing, everyone at home, captive audience, waiting to hear what the latest. So that, are they going to, are people's lives going to be saved? How is their lives going to change? What is happening? Waiting. He turns this briefing into an epic meltdown. Making it all about defending himself. Gaslighting. Rewriting history. 
instead of giving Americans the facts that we all need to save our own lives and the lives of the people that we love. I lost a very good friend this weekend. I wanted to hear from the president how he's going to stop that from happening. Instead, I got a campaign video. What do I need a campaign video for? I want to know how you're going to stop my loved ones from dying. I don't need a campaign video, Mr. President. How are you going to keep friends and loved ones from dying? It is crystal clear from what happened today, what the president's top priority is, defending himself rather than focusing on the health and well-being of the American people. He is a president who seems to think that he is a king. This is America. We don't have monarchs here. An absolute monarch with absolute authority. That's not what we have here. This is what he tells Ryan Lizza. If a governor issued a state home When you say my authority, the president's authority. Not mine, because it's not me. This is when somebody's the president of the United States, the authority is total. And that's the way it's got to be. Your authority is total. It's total. It's total. And the governors know that. So if if the governors know that. Now you have a couple of bands of, of, excuse me, excuse me. You have a couple. Could you rescind that order? You have a couple of bands of, uh, of uh, Democrat governors, but they will agree to it. They will agree to it. But uh, the authority of the president of the United States having to do with the subject we're talking about is total. Listen, I'm not a doctor, but I am a man of a certain age. I've been around for a while. I know a narcissist when I see one. And this is the height of narcissism, to spend the White House briefing during a pandemic that has killed over 23,000 Americans, to spend it on the president defending his poor performance. That's right, a poor performance in a crisis while he paints himself as a king. I'm not a tailor either, but I can tell when the emperor has no clothes. The President of the United States has the authority to do what the President has the authority to do, which is very powerful. The President of the United States calls the shots. It says he calls the shots. But it was, it was exactly one month ago that he said this. No, I don't take responsibility at all because we were given a, uh, a set of circumstances and we were given rules, regulations, and specifications from a different time. So he doesn't call the shots at all, but he takes no responsibility at all. He calls the shots, but takes no responsibility. But he claims all the authority. Authority without responsibility. Does that make sense? That is as far from showing leadership as it gets. And that is what was on full display today, America. It is sad. Lashing out at reporters. Whatever. I mean, at this point, it is an obvious tactic. He wants to fight with the press. He wants to look tough, so he fights with the press. I mean, he should be concentrating on fighting this virus with everything that he has got. Something that was new to the task force briefing 
anyway, was using this time during a briefing to show campaign-style videos, like it was a rally. Propaganda videos meant to convince you that he took strong, decisive action to protect Americans from the virus from the beginning. Except he didn't. Remember the question that set off the president? Let me remind you which one. When he was asked whether he did what he did in February with the time that this country uh, was brought the, when he brought the partial shutdown of the travel ban uh, to China. The president repeatedly points to it as his most decisive action. Watch this. You when you, you, excuse me, you reported it. Zero cases, zero deaths on January 17th. January. I said in January. On January 30th. What did your administration do in February with the time that your travel ban thought A lot. A lot. And in fact, we'll give you a list. What we did, in fact, part of it was up there. We did a lot. So, what exactly did he do in February? Well, here's some of what he said. We pretty much shut it down coming in from China. I think the virus is going to be, it's going to be fine. Looks like by April, you know, in theory, when it gets a little warmer, it miraculously goes away. We had 12 at one point, and now they've gotten very much better. Many of them are fully recovered. We have it very much under control. Now they have it. They have studied it. They know very much. In fact, we're very close to a vaccine. When you have 15 people, and the 15 within a couple of days is going to be down to close to zero, uh... That's a pretty good job we've done. This is a flu. This is like a flu. And it is a little bit different, but in some ways it's easier, and in some ways it's a little bit tougher. It's going to disappear. One day it's like a miracle. It will disappear. And this is their new hoax. So, these are the facts. We bought some time in January. It was a partial travel ban. Partial. Not a full ban. And then we squandered that time in February on falsehoods and minimizing. And no gaslighting can ever make that go away. And it can't bring people back. People whose lives could have been saved. That is Don Lemon because he lost a gay friend. And once again, Trump fault. They just lash out. Christians, Trump, somebody. Not the pandemic. Americans aren't polarized on LGBTQ equality survey finds. PRRI, a liberally slanted firm, did a survey. And things have improved, but they're saying their focus was on uh, only 51% say that people should be able to do it for age. Um, they singled out southern states, Alaska. These are all the states that are below three, uh, two-thirds approval of changing existing laws that were made for African Americans and women and having LGBT written in, even though it's not necessary. It's already being applied. Uh, Alaska, Montana, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Kentucky, Alabama, Wyoming, West Virginia, Tennessee, Arkansas. And they go on religious refusals. And basically, you don't have any rights. Yeah, that was from uh, The Advocate. Their second one, the census is messy. 
The part I want to cover is I came out in the 1980s at the height of the AIDS crisis when I was act. When I was in ACT UP, I fought hard to stop the spread of AIDS. The census continues to be used to allocate $640 million in HIV funding. I would go on and recount the importance of the accurate census. $457 million for community health, $133 million for domestic violence, $48 million for community arts, $4.7 for vent abuse, neglect, and exploitation of elders, and how important this is for political power and influence. These groups know... They carry weight, so they that's their thing. They just want to get political power. Transgender woman Joan, Joanna Metzger was stabbed to death in Baltimore. Nowhere in this article does it have anything to do. They don't even know who the fuck stabbed her, but they're counting it as the sixth murder this year. Because there's a genocide going on. Remember that. British trans couple Jake and Hannah Graff announced Thursday morning on Twitter the birth of their daughter. And they could not be happier. Because one has a penis and one has a vagina. I don't need to say anything more. Queer PE teacher reveals how students still call them faggots. And gay boys, it's the last passion of homophobia. Some rando dude. First and foremost, if kids are calling you any kind of names as a teacher, you're a shitty ass teacher. And my confidence in this article is about zero fucking percent. Another uh, Netflix series came out, Little Fires Everywhere. Before I play the soundbite, this is a little girl. These are the questions they asked her. Your performance in Izzy is just amazing. How did you prepare for the role? LGBTQ rights and visibility have come a long way since 90s and Ellen's coming out. What did you learn about queer culture? Bullying, unfortunately, still exists in schools. Have you ever had to deal with bullying? It's still rare to see the stories of queer youth on screen, particularly with Izzy, whose story stretches back to middle school. What does it mean to you to be representing a representation of Izzy's of the real world? Little Fires Everywhere deals directly with privilege or the lack of it and how it can impact intersectional groups like women, people of color, and LGBTQIAO. What do you believe viewers today can learn about privilege from this fictional world? Well, we can learn that it's a fictional world, and so is all your intersectionality. Hi, I'm playing Elena Richardson. And I am playing Mia Warren in Little Fires Everywhere. Check it out on March 18th, only on Hulu. I have always had the best intentions. Someone burned down your house with you inside. Elena, do you know anyone that would do this? So rent is 300 a month, well below market, but it's really not about the money for us. So you rented it to her on the spot, just like that. Do you even know anything about this woman? What is it that you do? I'm an artist. And then you ask her to come work in our house? It is a beautiful thing to know that your actions can affect another person's life. All mothers struggle. Money hides it. <laughs> but you can't put a price on a mother's love. Maybe you should wear your hair down. I Mom. It's actually your best feature. So is it just you and your mom? Mm-hmm. We move around every few months. She hides stuff just like everybody else. I called the person that you listed as your previous landlord, and strangely, he didn't seem to know you. 
if you want to live in this house, you live by my rules. Who said you have to sit back and take it? If you don't stand up for yourself, who will? She has completely infiltrated our lives. I need to figure out who this woman is. And We all have parts that scare us. Did you really think I wasn't going to find out? Parts that we run from. You haven't been honest with me about anything. It's not Parts that we're afraid to look at. You are coming completely unraveled. I am completely raveled. Everybody's going to be held accountable for their actions. I know about your little secret. Are you threatening me? Our next article, Power Queer Power Couple Pen a New LGBT History Book for Wider Audience. The Gay Agenda by Queer Power Couple Ashley Molesso and Chessie Needham is more than just the latest effort to provide the definitive user's guide of all things gay. It is also Lisa Frank-esque rainbow celebration of the community itself, a beautifully designed component compendium that seeks to honor our stories while sharing them with the wider audience. The gay agenda is an homage to those who have fought before us, the reminder of the important people and events in our history. It includes a helpful acronym translation guide for the uninitiated and those of us who are a little behind the times. Melesso and Needham are also the founders of Ash and Chest, a hip Brooklyn art and stationery retail, and the book reflects their artistic talents with over a hundred full illustrations. The Gay Agenda is partly a nostalgic look back, but also an introduction for young people seeking a greater understanding of the creation of our community and queer culture. Yeah, we need more of that, because we don't have enough gay shit crammed down our fucking throat. Everything is racist! Congresswoman, you know, the Surgeon General suggested last week that African Americans and Latinos should step up and stop behaviors like drinking and smoking to help curb the spread of coronavirus in their communities. And I thought his comments reinforced the notion uh, that personal responsibility is to blame for the racial health disparity uh, rather than systemic racism. What did you make of, of that? I completely agree. Um, it's it's so funny how this pandemic was when it was impacting we when it was impacting the elderly when it was impacting um, all sorts of people. We didn't talk about personal responsibility. We only started talking about uh, you know taking personal responsibility over contracting coronavirus uh, when we started talking about Black Americans contracting it at a higher rate. Um, obviously, there are certain things we can do to make sure that pre-existing conditions uh, don't exist, but ultimately it's inequity that's the pre-existing condition. It's the inequality that's a pre-existing condition. And you can't
can't just go to someone and tell them, hey, you should have had health care this whole time when you're working, you know, when you're working an hourly job and your employer doesn't give it to you. You know, a lot of these pre-existing conditions have to do with uh, the inability to access quality health care, the, inab- the inability to afford quality health care, because we live in a country that continues to have a for-profit um, health care system, unlike the rest of the developed world. And on top of that, you know, the Bronx, we have a mortality rate that is twice. We have a COVID coronavirus mortality rate that is twice the level of the rest of New York City. You know it's not a coincidence? The fact that the Bronx has one of the highest asthma rates in the United States. And that a lot of that has to do with environmental inequities that we that oftentimes just look at Flint, just look at Baltimore, just look at the Bronx, that public policy has polluted these communities, has poisoned air and poisoned our water. And that is what is creating uh, the large scale pre-existing conditions that are making our communities much more vulnerable than others. And so while yes, you know, if you're smoking, you should consider to stop and that goes for everybody. At the end of the day, that's not why there is such a high incidence of coronavirus that is impacting these communities disproportionately. It is systemic inequality. And we have to take responsibility for those inequities. And we have to make sure that we respond to it, not with a personal choice, but with public policy. Yeah, they're still pushing that. I love the article that came with uh, the root. Black scientists working towards antiviral treatment for coronavirus. The whole article pretty much comes across like white people are going to let us die. <laughs> On their site this week, Colin Kaepernick jumpstarts Know Your Rights Camp with a $100,000 donation. If Colin Kaepernick takes a dump and there's some corn in it, The Root reports it. Louisiana prisoners say he was choked by a sheriff deputy for seeking medical care. This is like somebody wrote somebody a letter and they made it a story. I told my child that Batman and Black Panther wouldn't hang out. There were tears. And this, I love the cover. Because we're told in the media the white people are raising their kids to be racist, KKK, gay-bashing fucking monsters. Yet these articles are everywhere. We've covered them on the show about Black Panther and how fucked up it was that white kids were wearing Black Panther for Halloween. In retrospect, I realize I was being kind of petty. Not on purpose, not being a stickler for continued rules can make you petty, it turns out. Hell, I don't even like it when I see my kids wearing Adidas shoes with Nike sweatshirts or sweatpants. It happens. Nobody is in it in the wrong. But I do let them know the mixing and matching labels is frowned upon. Again, contrived rules and pettiness. I get it. I'm working on me. I just want my self-introspection on out there from the beginning. I've wandered. My goal here was to tell you a story about what my kids and the hopes and dreams and how I may have unintentionally, albeit briefly, dashed them. My kids like to take a bath with the entire collection of toys. This includes some monster trucks and random assortment of shit I just haven't thrown away yet because I only remember it exists when they take a bath and rotating collections of superhero action figures through the main rotation consists of Spider-Man, Flash, Batman. Largely, they spend bath time drowning these superheroes. Heroes. But I figure they're superheroes, except for Batman. They'll be okay. 
Lately, my kids have been taken to wanting to watch Black Panther every day. Literally every day. They call it Wakanda, but I always know what they're referring to. They're big fans of Jabri tribe and take turns being Mabuka, but they're pretty much well on in the Wakanda as a place. I have to admit, this is my ace in the parenting hole. Now, let me get to the point. <clears throat> Spider-Man versus which I make sure we're going to tear one parent. I'm not really sure what the parameters are that has to be the big league. We're all black everything around here. On one fine morning while my kids are playing in the bathtub because I really, it's just a tiny swimming pool, my youngest looked at me and said, Daddy, can Batman go to Bakanda with Black Panther? Now, this is one of those teachable moments as a parent. The simple and right but wrong answer to this three-year-old was yes, he sure can. I mean, hell, Batman could probably use some damn vibranium and he could afford it. So it's truth, my son is a connector and champion of nation building. Plus, Black Panther and Batman have a shit ton of common. They could probably spend hours vetting, venting about the rigors of being rich, brilliant, technology-advanced superheroes who happen to get their asses kicked a lot. They're in a genre, if you think about it. Anyway, as my kid looked up at me with genuine excitement about taking Batman to Bakanda, I told him that, no, Batman can't go to Bakanda because in Batman's world, I don't think Bakanda exists. They're from entirely different universes, really, and their paths would never really cross. In fact, Batman and Iron Man, who you're drowning together don't know each other outside of this bathtub most likely you see they are characters creating a comic books and they come from two different comic book universes that try to bring them together on occasion but generally batman stays with his homies and black panther stays with his much more profitable homies so no understand he looked up at me processed what i was saying but i don't think he processed at all i think he only heard no and said with tears in his eyes he can't come with me i want him to come with me I'm going to Bakanda, and I want Batman to come. Please, Daddy. The tears got bigger. He was still in the bathtub, and at this point, conducting a mutual superhero monster truck rally. It was at that moment I realized that since I was barring Batman from Wakanda because he would never really go, I was going to have to then explain to my son, Wakanda was in a real place, contrary to how the black community likes to treat it, and yeah, he's three. I also have to explain to him why a white man wouldn't hang out with black people, and that's when I stopped copying the story. I am told that's why white people are evil. That's what I was told. But when every black person has the talk that all cops can't be trusted and white people are evil, I tend to think maybe it's more one side than the other, which brings me to the Watchmen. We are no one. We are everyone. And we are invisible. We convinced ourselves that they were gone. But they were just hibernating. They came for everybody. Oh, please. Are we safe? I guess we have ourselves a reckoning.
two talking about? Oh, nothing. Just the end of the world. Now, The Watchmen is a fucking comic book. From what I can gather, it doesn't deal a lot with race. But when the guy who did Lost and Leftovers took over for it, he decided to go with the story, which on some websites they say it is the origin origination, and some that isn't, of a 1921 race massacre. Now, I didn't know about this, so I researched it, and it was a real deal. A guy did something, they said they were going to lynch him, they didn't. Black men came in with guns, killed ten white guys, and then the KKK supposedly came in and wiped the fucking place out. It was basically the Black Wall Street. Uh, They were rich, affluent African Americans, and they destroyed the town. National Guard had to come in. It's horrible. Never heard of it, but it's horrible. It's one of those things that we just kind of bury because it's a horrible incident. So they took this comic book, and instead of reveling in the characters that are in the book, they just made some new shit up, and they made it all about race and gay shit. Everything about the movie was about race, and white people are horrible, and there's racists everywhere. I mean, it's HBO. It pairs very well with the next one we're going to plot against America, where Lindbergh is basically Hitler, and we turn into a Hitler country. And we're killing all the Jews, from what I can get. But this spurs Redford Nation and reparations for anybody that was ever wronged, and a hundred articles from every liberal source you can find that basically everybody deserves to go into our checking accounts and hand moaning over to black people for shit that was done ages ago. Never mind that every race on the planet has been a slave. Every race on the planet has been indentured servants. Every race on the planet has been fucked over. Never mind that blacks were fucked over by blacks. They even project in here, on purpose, something that wasn't from the comic book, a projection that they sprayed on black people or shown on black people to make black people attack black people. And the inner statement was that the reason why black people are killing black people is because white people are racist. That was the whole concept. Read a whole op-ed on it. It's true. It's happening. Our projection of a fucking racial superiority that most of us don't even know we have and our inherent fucking privilege makes black people kill other black people because they can't kill all the white people. It was fucking so confusing. If I shut off, and that's what we did, we shut off the... Okay, we're not going to look at this as a race symposium that America is a horrible steaming pile of shit and black people are still getting lynched every fucking day, which doesn't happen, but that's what they want to think. We're going to watch this. It is one of the most confusing, fucked up, and once again, I don't read comic books. Maybe that's a problem, but if you got to put a primer out 
to explain it because it's not going with the comic book and they just made some shit up to make it about race and gay people, even black gay men. Well, maybe you're missing the point of the superhero. They pushed it like it was a success, but it had under 7 million people watching and streaming. And they didn't come out with season two. That's all I have to say. It was not a successful show. And if you go to Honest Brokers, they say it's interesting, but they're not talking about the race stuff. The only reason why they put it out is like they did Plot Against America. Because Trump and shit. It's just black people in chains. But the same people on this website that put this out. This following commercial is the most racist shit I've ever seen in my life. And it went pretty much unnoticed. It's all over Twitter. It's a Chinese lady putting her black husband in a washing machine, washing him with some special detergent, and he comes out a beautiful Chinese man. But remember, Trump.改变只是一颗俏皮洗衣溶珠。Come on down, you're the next contestant on. The spread of coronavirus in prisons threatens the health and safety of all of us. When you're incarcerated, there's no such thing as social distancing. And ensuring good hygiene is not an option. Leaders must do everything possible to prevent incarcerated people and those who work in prisons from becoming ill and spreading the virus. I'm calling on Governor Andrew Cuomo to take action in New York by granting clemency to New Yorkers in prison. The lives of so many people depend on his action. No one deserves to die in prison from COVID-19. Boy, working at a busy restaurant sure can be a grind. I mean, look, I know what I got into, but some days I just don't do it. Just because I swore to, I'm supposed to uphold the law. What if I don't agree with the law? Surgery is stressful and tedious, and sometimes I'll get partway through and just be like,、mm. I only do my job when I feel like it. That's why I stand with the Senate. Why do we need a Supreme Court anyway? Table four is still waiting for their entrees. Yeah, I bet. 
Why does Merrick Garland even want to be a Supreme Court justice? Yeah, he should be something easier, like a senator. Working is dumb. Whether you're a firefighter who can't be bothered to put out fires, or a pilot who thinks landing planes is beneath you, there's someone out there that understands. Republican senators. I not only don't do my job, but I keep others from doing theirs. Please, please, think of table four! People not doing things out of spite is what makes this country great. Wait, what? I stand with the Senate. I stand with the Senate. We stand with the Senate. This is so bad. We need a priest. Okay, now do your job and call your senator. Let them know. They will lose your support if they don't meet with Supreme Court nominee Merrick Garland. Yeah, we got the release, the prisoners. Um, and I put in there... Um, I know that Chinese ad is it's Chinese, but I, I had to play it. I mean, Jesus Christ. These same people are defending China and saying everybody's racist for saying Chinese virus. And these motherfuckers are washing black people and making them Chinese. That's pretty fucking racist, I'm just saying. And then I put an old thing that came up my feed on Facebook of liberals during the time of Garland. Because right now, small business loans aren't being done because Nancy Pelosi won't do shit and she's obstructing. Media doesn't give a fuck. You heard a little pushback, but they don't care. They'll let it roll. Article from MRC, frantic media worry about women who can't abort during pandemic. There have been 25 fucking articles from the, just the papers and CNN about how important it is that we open back up abortion clinics because we need to kill some fucking people. They're so caught up, they don't understand what they're doing. Nancy Pelosi, to say people will die, so be it, instead of a science and testing path to reopen the economy... Is deeply frivolous and wrong. Every life is precious. Every death is heartbreaking. For a family and for a community, this is something we are all in together. Did you hear those words? People reminded her. She's the 2014 Margaret Sanger Award recipient. Yeah, the Margaret Sanger who started PPFA and did eugenics and didn't want black people to reproduce. That's why PPFAs in urban centers where black people live so they can kill them black babies. They don't give a fuck. Abby Johnson person dies every time an abortion is committed and you simply say, so be it. Indeed, every life is precious. And then somebody nails her. 12,420,750 global abortions since January 1st. Yeah, they don't understand that. There are articles everywhere about it. On my uh, civil rights thing I found. India liberalizes abortion law, but social stigma pushes vulnerable women to unsafe abortions. Safe abortion is still a dream for many, liberalizing the law. They, they let it go to 24 weeks, but it needs to be later. Because what if? Lack of accountability fuels discrimination. Stigma. The medical termination of pregnancy is illegal. Abortion is legal only up to 12 weeks in some countries. Abortion is not allowed for first pregnancy. Abortion causes permanent infertility. One husband's signature is mandatory for an abortion. Safe abortion for a better life, they say. They're so crazy. New fashion trend. Leftist group selling pro-abortion face. 
Once I saw Vote Mask by Resistance by Design, I knew it was only a matter of time for pro-abortion face masks. Lo and behold, I was right. At a time when the world is going to extreme lengths to save lives of coronavirus by doing things like wearing face masks in public, the pro-abortion di- industry is trying to encourage death with new abortions are essential face masks. A group called We Are Pro-Abortion, WAPA, is selling black and white face masks with words pro-abortion written all over them, along with the phrase abortion are essential. A new mantra of pro-abortions have picked up during the coronavirus as states shut down elective medical procedures. On April 15, images of the new mask were posted on WAPA's social media account. The pro-abortion masks are sold on Etsy for 20 bucks each. Gotta have it. Other ones, pre being pro-abortion is cool. Abortions are birth control. Abort local. Go to your local clinics. Got to support those local small business. I just did air quotes. Clinics. Also on my social causes, bridging the gap between hunger and food waste during a pandemic. Nothing stops for the left. They just don't stop. Nor... Does fucking climate. Al Roker is taking over newsstands. Earth Day is next week, and that means that Al is featured in not one, but two magazines. Ladies and gentlemen, you can see him in Sunday's parade, wearing his Easter suit there. And he's also in this week's People uh, People magazine as well. Pretty cool, Al Roker. That's a first even for you. Well, thank you very much. You know, we're, we're very committed to uh, Earth Day, Earth Week uh, next week, and we've got a big announcement coming up next week as well concerning Earth Week and the environment and our news coverage. It's like they want people in their houses. It's kind of scary. To the roundup of other dumb shit, Mother Jones, there's another epidemic spreading right now. White guys on social media who suddenly have become infectious disease experts. Everything about this piece is awful, but did no editor notice that the single verifiable social media post cited is from a fake Twitter account with no followers? They just randomly wrote some shit up because they wanted to dog white guys. I'd ring it, but I'm not gonna. It's fucking stupid as shit. Also stupid as shit, Land Lakes Butter removes Indian Maiden from packaging after nearly one century. To celebrate the company's 100th anniversary next year, Mia the Indian Maiden was removed from the packaging and redesigned intended to focus on celebrating farmers. We need packaging that reflects the foundation and heart of our company culture. Nothing does that better than our own farmers. The statement didn't mention the reason why they got rid of it, but we know why. Because it's racist to have a motherfucking Indian on your shit. I never even knew it was an Indian chick. I thought it was a dude. New York Times, as they're ignoring Biden, enough with the sweatpants, dress like an adult when you're getting paid on your Zoom meetings. This dude wears a straw hat, looks like a fucking dork. I don't know why you do that. To a few funny things, and then into our lighter fare, and this is America, and we'll close this pig up. Strip clubs sue to get stimulus money during the coronavirus pandemic. Because those girls can't get on the pole. But if they watched Pornhub, 
They're launching Scrubhub to encourage people to wash their hands. They got porn actresses washing their hands and then diddling themselves. Yeah. They did donate a bunch of masks, though. And a porn star, Kendra Lust, the most pizza I've ever ordered, and not even for me. Enough food tonight for every unit at a local hospital. The doctors and nurses are working so hard with not enough. Please make sure to show your appreciation for the healthcare workers. It was a very nice gesture, and there's probably a hundred pizzas there. So, go on, girl. I got nothing wrong with porn people or strip clubs. I just think that shit's funny. So here's something that pissed off the liberals. It was trended on Twitter. Dennis Miller joking about the coronavirus. Once again, just like Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz, talking about real facts. They are scunionized for not being, we're all going to die, and Trump is the reason why. It's been three years since... Three years since I've been on Fox, and uh, things have changed over there. I noticed uh, Donna Brazil sent over tonight's questions for me this afternoon, so they must have had some sort of shake-up over there. Um, what I do today, I've been lying around all day, wasting away in Mitigationville. I've got a couple steaks over here marinating and some hydroxychloroquine. going to knock back a couple... Zithromycin uh, jello shooters later, and then I'm going to binge watch Aqualung Biden's blooper reel from this week. Now, I can't believe that people were endorsing this guy. Uh, you know, I, I know he lost his fastball, but I've been watching him lately. I think he's lost his curve. I think he lost his slider, and I think he's wearing his cup as an N95 mask at this point. Oh, the guy should be in the. Oh. The guy, oh, the guy should be in the back seat on a Sonic commercial. Of course, because he said hydrochloroquine, he's a piece of shit. Before I play This is America, I want to do the written portions of it, because it's just, the premise tonight is, now that we're getting close to the 30th, they can't let that happen. If we go back to work and the economy rebounds and people go back and get their jobs, well, goddamn, they can't run on it. So... Joe Scarborough, Trump propagandist, misled millions of Americans in believing the medical community fears of the coronavirus were overblown hoax. They're at it again. Millions of Americans are sadly still buying to these dangerous lies. I pray for their health and their loved ones. He never called it a hoax. He's saying governors can reopen, and they talked about it and gave it a plan, and the governors can do it. Chris Single, NBC Joe, just suggests going back to work, putting our bottom line ahead of lives. Joe, who pays you. What limitless magic money tree grows in your backyard that gives you the confidence we can be closed as a country indefinitely? Your advertisers feel that way. Your lies become more desperate. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Try living without your overinflated paycheck. Joe, you're a political hack. The economy staying shut up tight, people being ruined financially, and the MSM constantly pointing the finger at Trump is like porn for you sick assholes. We see you. More lies from little joy boy. President Trump never said a virus is a hoax. Keep pushing this lie, you dishonest, intellectually challenged hack. Even left-leaning snubs debunked it. But you continue being a charlatan and fool. We should start a phased reopening of the country this month. You and your ilk are going to have to conniptions no matter what happens. So we might as well do it sooner rather than later. Noah Bertaski. Regular reminder that opening the economy and letting hundreds of thousands die isn't actually going to help the economy because people aren't going to walk past piles of corpses to buy a fucking burger. 
Another guy. The thing that is harming the economy is maths, deaths, and plagues, not public and government efforts to deal with maths, death, and plagues. Dean Obadiah. Let's be clear. Trump is calling for militia members to liberate Michigan. Trump is inciting not just a violence, but a civil war. Trump is worse than the virus. Trump is a cancer. Liberate America from Trump and Trumpism. After we defeat Trump this November, we next must root out and eradicate Trumpisms wherever it's found. Our nation depends on it. Trump is calling for rebellion and insurrection and violation of law. Trump should be elected. This is a tweet screed that goes on his whole fucking Twitter page by the time I got there. 18th U.S. Code 2383, rebellion or insurrection. This is the only beginning of Trump calling for violence to stay in power. Expect more. Trump will do everything and anything to stay in power. A civil war is just one part of it. Trump should be arrested. I've always rebuffed those who call my show saying we are headed to civil war. But now it's 100% clear. Trump wants to see one. Trumpisms will not win. America will. Please understand that this is not a game. As experts on fascism will tell you, Trump is priming his base. He's praying for them to rise up and use violence to keep them in power. Based on three tweets. Lawrence Tribe. Because it's too late to contain COVID-19, there's only one possible ending to the story. We must collectively develop immunity to the disease. In lieu of a vaccine, that means most of us will need to be exposed to this virus. Some unknowably large number of us will therefore die. Adam Schiff. There's no way to safely reopen without massive testings, yet we are barely testing more people this week than last, and hospitals continue to report serious bottlenecks. If Trump ignores the experts and forces a premature reopening, even more Americans will die. The Foo Bunny. He so badly wants to drag this out to hurt Trump in November. Russia failed, impeachment failed. This is your last hope of keeping Trump from winning again, but at your expense this time. Justin Hart shows what's happening. Hold on to your hats. Get blown away with the first big prevalent report are coming out. And the fatality rate just bottomed out to influenza level. Here's what the prevalence report means. The population of Santa Clara County, California is 1.9 million. Only 1,700 people have been diagnosed with COVID, and 66 have died. That's a crude fatality rate of 3.6. But now, usually tests are limited to people who show symptoms because people who are sick. The seroprevalence tends people randomly to test for possible antibodies. The population prevalence of COVID-19 in Santa Clara ranged from 2.49 to 4.16. This means that the actual population of people who have been infected with COVID estimates represent a range between 48,000 and 81,000 by early April. 50 to 85 fold for the number of the confirmed cases. If the deaths are at 66 and the true infected population is 48K, then the fatality rate is 0.14. If it's 8K, it's 0.1. What does that mean? What it means is this shit was here way before they thought it did, and a lot of us probably already had it. Remember, there were three strains. You probably got it. If anybody had a cough in January or February, me and my wife did, you probably had COVID. You didn't even know you had fucking COVID. So as they start these tests to get the antibodies they need, 
finding out more people had it and less people died. And it's not as effective as it is because you're padding the numbers with people that were already very sick, got it, and died. You're padding it with random corpses you're finding in New York and you're calling it COVID without a test. It's not me talking out my ass. That's a fact. That's what they're doing. So here is our This is America. At the end of This is America, I'll leave a little break. And you're going to hear the L.A. mayor and the New York mayor. They're so invested in this. They're telling people to report non-essential businesses or people not doing the right thing. Because they're enjoying this fascism. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. I got the strap. Aaron, President Trump wants to be phase three in a phase one world. And so there, there is a, a problem here where the president is just not dealing with the reality of the situation. At one point, Aaron, during this press conference, he said, well, if there are outbreaks or hotspots that flare up, we can go in there and, quote, whack it. Well, what does that mean? There isn't a vaccine at this point. There isn't a, a treatment, a proven treatment at this point for the coronavirus. And so you can't go into hotspots yeah. and just whack it. Uh, there's going to be significant health problems and the potential for outbreaks and things needing to be closed down again. I think there there is that potential there. The other thing, Aaron, that has not been discussed is what happens if people want to travel from a phase three state to a phase one state and yeah. a phase one state to a phase three state. There are so many different questions and the question will become do they open up too quickly and will they have problems as a result of that? So if you're going to say you're going back to normal and you're going to say that means people going to I don't know, conventions in Las Vegas or mm-hmm. in other states who are coming from big states like New York, uh, you aren't going to be able to get back to normal. And how are you even going to be able to police or enforce that and prevent more outbreaks? What are our health experts going to say if uh, the spring breakers are back on the beach in a couple of weeks, uh, not practicing social distancing, doing the opposite of that, which is what you do at spring break? Um, I, I think we could see hot spots flare up that perhaps could have been avoided had these social distancing guidelines uh, been continued for some period of time. The president talked about this being a beautiful puzzle uh, during this press conference just a short while ago. Uh, I think the president better hope that the puzzle isn't uh, turned upside down and dumped on the floor. And the question I think is going to be asked if you start seeing hot spots and flare-ups, whether or not he pushed the accelerator too fast and people got sick as a result of that. I think that right. question is just undoubtedly going to be asked if people get sick, Aaron. That's right. And if you have a surge in one place, it spreads to a whole lot of others and then to even more. He admits his rush to reopen could backfire if infections spike. We'll have to do something that's very, very serious. We'll have to maybe close them up and start all over again. The president is feeling pressure to get the economy back on track. Retail sales plunged a record 8.7 percent in March. And some Republican lawmakers now say saving the economy is more important than saving lives. 
It is policymakers' decision to say this is the lesser of these two evils, and it is not zero evil, but it is the lesser of these evils. In Nevada, the coronavirus outbreak has spread in eerie silence over the Las Vegas Strip for nearly a month. Mayor Carolyn Goodman calls the continued shutdown total insanity. We're ready to reopen right today. We had 300,000 that filed for unemployment when they're probably 900,000 out of work. But the country still lacks a widespread and reliable system of testing and tracking. And the president's guidelines leave that to the states. Business leaders have told President Trump that's essential before Americans will feel safe returning to work in stores. And the president's own health experts say Americans still need to keep their distance. To all of you that are out there that would like to join together and just have that dinner party for 20, don't do it yet. Now, a source on that call with the president today says that the president seemed more concerned about businesses protecting them, getting them open, than making sure that states have this crucial testing. 250 people a year die from poverty. And the poverty line is getting such that more and more people are going to fall below that because the economy is crashing around us. And they're doing that because people are dying from the coronavirus. I get that. But look, the fact of the matter is we have people dying. 45,000 people a year die from automobile accidents, 480,000 from cigarettes, 360,000 a year from swimming pools. But we don't shut the country down for that. But yet we're doing it for this. I tell you, schools are a very appetizing opportunity. Uh, I just saw a nice piece in the Lancet arguing that the opening of schools may only cost us two to three percent in terms of total mortality. And, you know, that's any life is a life lost. But to get every child back into a school where they're safely being educated, being fed uh, and making the most out of their lives with a theoretical risk on the backside, uh, it might be a trade off some folks would consider. Not, no, 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 not, not, not the death of two to three percent of children or two to three percent of 320 million people. But that's an argument Oof. that's been made. Doctor, you heard Dr. Oz make it. He later backtracked. Uh, you heard Dr. Phil make it. You have heard Stephen Moore, uh, one of the president's uh, informal economic advisors, make it. You've heard Larry Kudlow make it, uh, one of the president's top economic advisors make it. You, you, you've heard, you've heard Trump apologists and propagandists on TV making it. You see, here's the thing. We, we played you some clips. It's one thing to ask Dr. Fauci questions. Is this, might this go away? It's okay to say, shouldn't we go back and ask those questions and stuff? That's totally fine. In fact, that's what, people should be doing push the doctors to see what it is and and what we heard when dr fauci was pushed he said this is entirely different uh he said this is unprecedented and he said this won't just disappear but willie then you have dr oz and then you have dr phil uh and you have so many other people going out there (laughs) Uh, uh, saying that this is this is going uh, that, that it's just like car accidents or it's just like cigarettes or it's just like swimming pools. Let me let me show you this this chart that uh, Eric Erickson again tweeted out yesterday to say this is not the flu. He said I'm a conservative. I've caught a lot of garbage, 
But I, this is not the flu. And Eric's known people that have had this. Uh, he's he's knows also talked about a nurse uh, that that is a big Trump supporter who got off Facebook yesterday because she was so disappointed that all of her friends were trying to dismiss this. But look at the car crashes. Look at the line there. Look at the line for the flu. They're they're consistent. Now look at COVID nineteen. It's skyrocketing up. And again, as we said last hour, the very people who we're dismissing concerns about this uh, from medical providers and scientists in the media as a, quote, hoax, because they, they said it was overblown. Um, they're the same people like Donald Trump who said, oh, yeah, we saw this before anybody else. And now they're the same people who were once again saying, ignore science, ignore medicine. Let's go back and two, three, two to three percent. I mean, it's, you know, the, the party of life suddenly is fine with a very high mortality rate because I guess it's getting in the way, of, you know, taking care of people's health is getting in the way of the bottom line. We have a very smart audience, so I hesitate to insult their intelligence by reminding them that the car accident statistics should not be compared to the COVID-19 statistics. The reason that people are staying indoors, the reason we have stay-at-home orders, is because unlike car accidents and drownings in swimming pools, COVID-19 is very, very contagious. And that's part of what Dr. Fauci tried to lay out on the same show where Dr. Oz later appeared last night. The problem is you could write these guys off the problem is they have huge followings. Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil both have shows with millions of viewers. Fox News, those programs obviously are very highly rated, millions of viewers. So when those prominent doctors go on TV and say these things, a lot of people listen. And that's reflected, by the way, in polling that shows who's taking this seriously and who's not. And as you say, it is the impulse of the president as well to get people back to work, perhaps sooner than they should be getting back to work for their own safety. So... Are they playing into ratings? Are they being TV performers? As you said, um, Dr. Oz tried to walk back his statement last night. There have been other doctors early in this crisis, not even that early, actually, last month, TV doctors who said, oh, this is press-induced panic, coming out later and apologizing for that and saying, well, we got it wrong. The words you say matter. You have huge audiences who yeah. listen to you. You've got to be responsible, and that's why we try to have on this show and bring to our audience actual doctors who specialize in this stuff, public health experts and officials, epidemiologists who know exactly what they're talking about and are not there to play to an audience, are not there for TV ratings. Yeah, it, it, Mika, it's, it's a balancing act, and we have to balance again uh, our friends, with small businesses, this is what governors have to balance. This is what the society has to balance. Uh, small business owners, people that work at large corporations, people who work everywhere, people who are entrepreneurs, people uh, who who are struggling just to get by. Uh, we have to. That is what we as a society have to balance, along with the concerns, the medical concerns, and unfortunately. Um, Ken, I, I, Look, I'm, I'm a good good example of somebody who has friends and loved ones who buy into the garbage that Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz and others have been propagating for too long. And it is a it is a message that any medical doctor like Dr. Fauci, any public health official that really knows the numbers will agree, actually, uh, with 
with what Eric Erickson was talking about yesterday, what any nurse on the front lines is talking about, what any doctor on the front lines in emergency rooms is talking about, that like Dr. Fauci said last night, this is a pandemic like nothing he's seen before. The president there saying he would use a provision in the Constitution to get nominees into administration positions without Senate approval. To which Mitch McConnell, the one and only Mitch McConnell, said, I don't think so. From McConnell spokesman, quote, the leader pledged to find ways to confirm nominees considered mission critical to the COVID-19 pandemic, but under Senate rules that will take consent from Leader Schumer. Trump's outlandish claims and mismanagement of the crisis seem to be taking a toll on his public standing as well. A brand-new Gallup survey just out shows Trump's approval rating is down six points from last month. (laughs) Joining us now, NBC and MSNBC National Affairs Analyst John Heilman and former Democratic Congresswoman Don Evers. Don, it it makes me gasp to see the Gallup numbers plunge six points when Donald Trump is the one standing in the Rose Garden, literally with his hands on his approval rating, plunging them down by blabbing for hours and hours and hours and hours every day. It, it, It would be funny if it weren't so scary. How do I report a non-essential business that's still open and violating the safer at-home order? We can only flatten the curve if everyone does their part. And for non-essential businesses, that means closing up shop for now. 99.9% of them have done it. We've seen so many folks adhere to this. And those who we hear about, 92% of them are compliant just simply with a visit from one of our ambassadors or a phone call. But those that do not act, we will take action against them. Our city's business ambassadors come in, and if a non-essential business is refusing to comply with an order, city workers and volunteers from our crisis response team are joining with LAPD in obtaining voluntary compliance with our directive. We initially issue warnings. If necessary, we share information on recurring non-compliant businesses with law enforcement, and if necessary, take charges against them through our city attorney's office. So you can report those non-essential businesses that are operating illegally at coronavirus.lacity.org slash business violation or call 311 and let us know. New Yorkers, you have been extraordinary at social distancing. And let me tell you, it has taken every fiber of our beings to figure out how to do this because we're warm, emotional people. We're used to being close to each other. We're used to being packed in the subway cars and we've had to do the exact opposite and figure out how to keep distance. It's not natural for us. It's not normal for us, but you've done it. You've done an amazing job. Now, look, thank you, everyone who's done it the right way, but we still know there's some people who need to get the message. And that means sometimes making sure the enforcement is there to educate people and make clear we got to have social distancing. So now it is easier than ever when you see a crowd, when you see a line that's not distanced, when you see a supermarket that's too crowded, anything, you can report it right away so we can get help there to fix the problem. And now it's as simple as taking a photo. All you got to do is take the photo and put the location with it and bang, send a photo like this and we will make sure that enforcement comes right away. Text the photo to 311-692 and action will ensue. Enforcement will come to get the help we need or you can use the 311 app. Send that photo there and you'll make sure immediately there's follow-up. Look, this is important. I want to keep reminding people, it's about saving lives. Sending that photo in is going to help make sure 
that people are kept apart, and that's going to stop the disease from spreading, and that's going to save them. If you think they're doing that to protect the populace, you're smoking fucking crack. They're doing it to scare the populace because they don't want to reopen. I truly have find it hard, other than New York City and New Jersey, why anybody would be doing this when you don't have that many cases. And they know the death rate's not that high. Your only reason can be politics. You want to destroy the economy so you can get your person elected. And continue to snipe. Everything you've done has failed. You've done fucking Mueller. You've done fucking impeachments. You've done everything. None of it worked. And you're afraid. You have a shitty candidate running. And now you're like, holy fucking shit, what do we do? Perfectly planned or perfectly timed horrible thing. And they're using it for politics because Democrats never let a crisis go to waste. Sorry, I got a dry throat. I had to swig something. It's fucking unbelievable. I mean, if you... Not wearing a tinfoil hat. If you look at it, everybody who's an adult, Democrat and Republican, is phasing in something because they know you can't go on like this. A country, the world can't go on like this. But now the big push for them is nobody goes back to work until we have a vaccine. That's next year. That's what they want to do. That's their plan. We wait until next year. And to be quite honest, if it's so bad, where are the stories of essential people all dropping like flies? The only place is New York. Cops, nurses, they're getting affected. But everywhere else... Now, I don't look like a hypocrite. I know when I go out, I protect. I wear my mask, wear my gloves, I decon. I'm still taking it seriously. But what I'm saying is, you can't go on forever like this just because you want to win a fucking election. I mean, goddamn. But how can you not walk away from that soundbite going, Jesus Christ. You called him a racist when he started doing stuff. Then you start sniping he didn't do stuff enough. And now you're saying he's a piece of shit because he doesn't want to do stuff. And he's left it to the governors. And I'm going to guarantee you in Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, California, these little protests, they're not just all Republicans. People are done. Your $1,200 pittance isn't going to pay the bills. And feed a family. We got to get back to work. Plants need to get back to building toilet paper and paper towels. So we all don't have to fucking hoard this shit. There's plenty of places in this country you can go back to work. Not enough cases. And we've been in our houses for six fucking weeks. 
Democrats, you had your fun. You got your 22 million unemployed and you can run on a myriad of little stupid things to say it's all Trump's fault. Stop being ideologues. Be Americans for fucking one day. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP podcast gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Pocket Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Remember to check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and our Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. Our next podcast will be either Tuesday, if I got anything good to talk about, the 21st of April, Year of the Lord 2020, or we'll go with the 23rd, because the 22nd, we're going fishing. Going fishing! Gonna be rainy, but the water level will be down. <clears throat> Pollen will be down. Pollen's just been killing me, so I, I gotta get out, gotta do some fishing. So we're gonna do a Wednesday fishing trip. Not seeing anybody driving, getting on the boat, going on the lake. Being safe, because we'll continue to play this till the 30th. Make sure you take time with your family. Disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yes. Enjoy it. I know it's getting repetitive me saying it, but I just think it's really important. Enjoy it. There's quality time to be had. Make sure you tune back in Tuesday or Thursday for the next show. And as always, thank you all for listening. Take care. Store after the stampede, people fight for toilet paper like the USC. Nothing left on that shelf but a lonely campaigns. So I guess I'll head back to the house and take a bath in bleach. Quarantine, quarantine, drinking whiskey like vaccine. Weaving at the neighbors, social distancing. Quarantine, quarantine, wearing lights all like sunscreen. Quarantine, quarantine, roll on some quarantine. And all my anti-hunting buds are reaching out to me. Stay stocked up, can I get some fresh deer meat? Well, I hope your family's well, hope them hands are clean Any chance that you might have an extra AR-15 Quarantine, quarantine, drinking whiskey like vaccine Waving at the neighbors, social distancing Quarantine, quarantine, wearing lights all like sunscreen
like I'm stop, 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 stop. I meant that in like a metaphorical sense, not a literal sense, because if we came together, that would be the antithesis of what quarantine means. But good thing we have FaceTime because we can hang out, and make dumb songs like this. And shout out to all the healthcare workers out there. And and Tim, I really like that chorus. Let's hit that one more time. Quarantine, quarantine, drinking whiskey like vaccine, waving at the neighbors, social distancing, quarantine, quarantine, wearing like 